Welcome to episode 154 on Call-In. This is Savvy Savvy's podcast, Assange, Norm versus Shmuley, Native podcast, and more. Let's go ahead and get into it. And I'm actually going to go ahead and start with Roger. Roger, what is up? And if you're not ready, let me know what I can go ahead and bring in um, a kid. What? Okay. Can you hear me? I should probably turn my volume on. <laughs> can, can you hear me? Of course. Why would I do that? Oh, Sabrina, what's up? Can, can you hear me? Can, can you hear me? I can hear you. Um. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're more concerned about um, winning than they are governing. You know, I mean, it, matter of fact, just not just that, but when that guy, I don't know why this. That that guy who was talking about um you know that black man that you just showed was on MSNBC talking about uh Rashida Tlaib. I don't know why that guy pisses me off. The guy that had on the coppin um, the coppin sweatshirt. Yeah, the sweater. Yeah. I, I don't know, like you know, just I was just like, look at this damn fool right here. Now I remember when he used to go on Rising a lot when Sag and Crystal was on there and yeah, that's right, because he's working for um, Bloomberg. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, yo, give me the cash. Ah, there you go. See? You see who they bring on there, you guys? Yeah, remember that? When when Bloomberg was like, um, what did he do? He said, hey, I'll hire you if you put me on. I don't know. He did some slick shit. I forgot what it was. But these guys are just concerned about winning. They're not concerned about governing. They're like, we was telling them for like, you know, in, t- in 2021, we was telling them, yo, this is not good. You, you, you can't let um, Justice Kavanaugh said that we're going to extend the moratorium until August. But until then, you got to do something about it. And it didn't. And he did nothing about it. And then the moratorium expired in August of 2021. And and then, you know, and then that's when the homeless rate really started going up. <coughs> You know, and then like a month later on Labor Day, as a as a nail in the coffin, he kicked everybody off of unemployment, off the emergency unemployment, and restricted, constricted the um <coughs> the like the emergency Medicaid or healthcare that people had for um you know uh, COVID, you know for the COVID emergency and all of that different type of stuff, and you know he's supposed to he was supposed to use the 1965 Higher Education Act to relieve all student debt. Not like the the 2001 Heroes Act. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm bringing up stuff that, you know, people, like, forgot about. You know what I mean? Before we even get to the present of, of Israel and Gaza. Right. You know? So this is, a, this is like a long time coming. You know? Now all of a sudden... Angela Rye and they're like, oh, we, we gotta go into emergency mode. Let's throw these um, corporate media types on on uh, spaces. You know, they're listening to your shows. They're they're list- they're watching your shows. I'm pretty sure Charlemagne the God was just like, Hey, I know that girl. <laughs> I know her from South Carolina. You know, so let me see what she's talking about. You know what I mean? So well, I never, I never actually, I never actually met Charlemagne in person. But my roommate, not my roommate, excuse me, my best friend, he was our next door neighbor, 
So oh, okay. she, he will recognize her probably, but he probably wouldn't okay. recognize me. Oh, okay, but you know, like these, these people are all pulling their hair out, going into emergency mode. You know, we've been telling Biden, but he has not been. But he's <clears throat> he has not been listening. He said, "Yo, what's up with the George Floyd Police and Injustice Act?" Hey, I got nothing for you. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to pass the Asian hate crime bill because we see a bunch of Asian people getting beat up by uh, black people, even though black people are like the uh, the number one victims of hate crimes. But you know, I'm like, do you, but do you understand why that was done, though, Roger? Because they will threaten to withhold their vote without any type of concessions. We, on the other hand, don't do that. Well, the the elder generation doesn't do that. I mean, we have yet to see the uh, the the black community millennials and Generation Z exercise power, and I see it's already happening. You know, all of the institutions are breaking down. Um, people are becoming more secular. They they are losing faith in the church, uh, patriotism. People are like, ah, what are we fighting for? This country is not fighting for us. College is 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 going. To, matter of fact, I saw something of where a lot of black, a, a lot of black uh, <coughs> students are returning to um, HSBCUs yep. after the affirmative action. You know, says so they say, yeah, what, what are you doing going off? You know, what are you doing? Well, going off the ranch for you should have been going there anyway. But anyway, um, all, all of these institutions, the military recruitment is down. All the all these institutions are are decaying and crumbling. And you know what? Part of that, I have to say, part of that has to do with Bernie and Trump. But I have to say probably more Trump because he made everyone question these institutions. I mean, people were questioning them before, but he really made people question these institutions. You know what I mean? And, and you know, that's, I mean, that's You're pretty right. much what's happening, you know? Well, he made, um, people oh, but- question, he made people question the media, too. Yes, that, that's the other institution that's breaking down, you know, but I, I just wanted to say this real quick. Also, I didn't know that this was really a thing until I was I was watching like uh, uh, Larry. He did a show today about it and I saw Jimmy do a segment on it. And apparently what's happening with with New York State is uh, because this the Trump thing is having a backlash and the exodus of business is going up because what what they did was. Um, they revoked his corporate charter for, for you know, him from being able to operate in New York State for like three years or whatever the case is. But at the same time, there was no fraud or whatever that was found. Like he, it, you know, like there was no victim, as, as they would say, but they're still uh, punishing him. Now there's this big boycott of truckers saying they're not going to deliver goods to New York State. Um that, that I've been hearing about. Oh yeah, yeah. There's that's that's what's been happening. They pissed off at what uh, you know at what uh, the, you know the political hit that the attorney general and the governor has been doing on um, uh, on on Trump, right? So a lot of truckers has been talking about boycotting the, the entire state of New York and not delivering um, packages and stuff like that. I I didn't really get a chance to really look into it yet. Um, but but here's the thing. This is what I've been seeing. I see opportunity in where people see uh, tragedy 
I see the glass. <coughs> I see the glass half full. Others, when others see the glass half empty. And what I mean by that is, is this, right? I've been seeing all these people talking about, oh, I, you know, if they could do this to, to him, like these big business people and real estate developers, because, you know, Trump is a real estate developer. And they're saying, wow, if he could, if he could, if the, if the government can do that to them, they're like looking around, they could do that to us. So now everyone's panicking because we're like later for that. We're out. We're leaving New York. And you're seeing people going, oh, my God, business is leaving, so on and so forth. And I'm like, OK, let's rewind this for a second. Why are we panicking that these these are the same people that have been throwing working people under the bus in New York State for the longest? OK, before this Trump sh shit happened, New York State has been number one in income inequality for like six years in a row. OK, so I would I see that as an opportunity for us to say, all right, look, Coco, uh, Adams, whoever the hell. Right. This no one wants to build a business here, whatever the case is, you're not going to be able to lure these corporations back and they've been screwing us anyway. So this can be your opportunity to turn us into um, a worker cooperative state. Now, even though I, even though we have the most worker cooperatives in New York state has the most worker cooperatives than any other state in the country. Well, it's only 110. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, we need to add some zeros to that. You feel what I'm saying? So I see it as, look, ain't no one else trying to, trying to, you could give all the tax cuts you want. They don't trust you now. They think that you're going to try to turn around. Like, because what made it worse was the governor came on TV and said, hey, listen, no, we're not going to do this to the rest of you. We're just doing this to Trump. So it didn't really... So, because you know, pretty people saw that as he, because he was being um, a bad guy. He he was he was misbehaving. So the big business like, okay, well, if I misbehave in a way that you don't like, you're gonna come after me like that, and you couldn't even get anything on them. Nah, we're going to another state, right? This would be the perfect opportunity for Albany, that's our state capital, to say, you know what? Ain't no one coming here. We might as well start investing in these cooperatives. Because it's not, they don't see it as, uh, uh, they, I, I guess they see it as too much of a risk to invest in cooperatives. But okay, well, you invest in corporations, them things are going out of business all the time. You know, it's always a risk when you open a business. You right. know what I'm saying? So this is, this is, I think, you know what, well, every, I mean, I'm really not like boo-hooing that these big businesses and real estate developers are leaving the state. I mean, it's not like, oh my God, I, my paycheck was above the cost of living. The South Bronx is still the poorest uh, jurisdiction in the country. Yeah. In the in, in the state, they say Manhattan is the most expensive place in the country now. You know, so I, I thought it was always that way, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, why? I'm, working people you know like how they like working people it's like they're trying to make working people panic you know like when they go oh my god the stock market it's crashed it's going whatever whatever they're, they're trying to make working people care about just like how they try to make working people care about oh my god the stock market and you gotta ask somebody okay do you mr working class person have uh investments 
Are you a majority shareholder in any of these companies? No. Okay. So why are you panicking for that? That doesn't really affect us anyway. You know what I mean? Like, oh, these businesses are leaving. Okay. Well, was your paycheck above the cost of living? Uh, how were you, you know, doing work-wise or whatever? Oh, no, not really. Okay. Well, let them leave. We don't need them. And let's start building from scratch and become a worker cooperative state and become a production economy again. So, you know, that's, so that, you know, that's my spiel. Uh, get my customer going on you. Okay, thanks. Good points. Let's bring in Ashura. What's up, Ashura? You're on the mic. Just got to hit the unmute button. And, oh, there you go. Wasn't it Eric? I don't know what happened to Eric. He's not in the queue. Okay. What's up? Uh, just waiting for midnight to clock in. Oh, shit. Yeah. Third shift. Uh, huh? Third shift? It's not my shift. It's basically my birthday. Oh, yeah, that's right. Happy birthday, Ashura. How old are you? Oh, <laughs> uh, I just got 40. I'm like, fuck. You're going to be 40? Yeah. All right. That's what I'm I talking about. I wanted, to, I wanted to drag it a little bit more. Sometimes I've just... There's, you know, there's this old school... Uh, thing that they talked about this year, uh, bisexual years, whatever that's fucking called, where you can skip a year or two off your life and still be oh, like the younger. Leap the leap year? Yeah. Yeah, this is a leap year. No, no, I know. There are some people that are born in those, uh, this old, it's an old school type of year. I forgot what it's called in French, but you can skip a year and still be younger, even though you were born in the same year as somebody else, but you yeah, still be older. It's a leap year. Like this, every every four years, the same year that we have presidential yeah. elections and um, the Summer Olympics, those are leap years. Yeah, yeah I've always wanted to be born in one of those years, but I, I missed one. I was almost born in one of those years. But just, you, would have to, you would have to be, um, what do you call it? You'd have to uh, 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 be born on February 29th. Yeah. Because then next year, there's no February 29th. Is really? this true? What's it, what's that point? You're going to take it out, gonna take it out a, a day off of it now? Yeah, no, that's the leap year. This year, it's February 29th. And then the next three years, it's February 28th is the last day of the last day of February. Oh, anyway, keep going. But then again, what does your birth certificate say? Because if you weren't born at midnight, then you won't be 40 yet. You got to take a look at your birth certificate. See what time you were born. This is true. Can we get to this another time, though? Because I know there are people waiting, so I just want to... The Rabbi Shmuley thing basically was... Uh, it was the it was basically uh, mind-blowing, the amount of bullshit he was saying. And mm -hmm. Pierce Morgan... I thought Pierce Morgan, basically, he saw the truth. But I, I keep telling people, I mean, every time I go into these Muslim channels... They bring up Pierce. Oh my God, Pierce! Pierce finally sees the light. I'm like, no, he hasn't. Pierce mm -hmm. Morgan is still that Zionist motherfucker that he is. He hasn't seen the light. He probably he probably figures out that the Muslims, the Muslim podcasters, have caught up to him. And I've seen a bunch of these Muslim podcasters. They got a million subs, and he wants them to come on their show. Every time they come on their show and come on the show, they keep telling him, "Do you do you, do you condemn Hamas?" I'm like, bro, is that all you got? What about the Israels? But like I said, like I said earlier tonight, Ashura, 
why is it okay for Israel to slaughter Palestinians, right? Way before October 7th. And it's not okay for the Palestinian people to say, we have a right to defend ourselves, but it's okay for Israel to say they have a right to defend their self. Well, because they're brown. They're not white adjacent. Well, some of them are. No, you mean the Palestinians? No, yeah, there's some white Palestinians, but for them, it's like the indigenous part. And this is where Willie would jump in and start calling you names. <laughs> yeah, and that, that that made no fucking sense. Like, the immediately he comes in, boom, starts basically blasting him with a bunch of insults. And I'm like, bro, why is he here? Well, I've, I've said this before, and I sincerely hope more people, like, start doing this. I think people need to stop inviting Rabbi Shmuley onto their show. Well, the Muslims uh, who are in Britain, yeah, the ones who are in Britain, they're the, they're the ones with the huge channels. They've started telling people, man, no, nah, man, on Twitter, boycott Pierce Morgan. Mm-hmm. Because they con onto his bullshit. Every time they come in, do you condemn Hamas? And then he basically bees a bootlicker for, for Israel. Um, as for the podcasters, like those uh, three black people on there, I'm like, the amount of bullshit I basically heard Andrew Gillum, I was like, Andrew Gillum? I didn't know it was him. Because no yeah. Andrew Gillum, Andrew Gillum has hair. He was bald and shit. I guess being, you know, being, uh, coming out basically made him uh, not, no longer need to shave, shave clean. Um, I think he shaved his head a couple, maybe it might have been a couple years ago, but I know, I know what you're saying. Um, I mean, it's just. It's a new him. I guess, man. I just. I didn't recognize him. These people are all Democrat operatives. And Tiffany Cross now says that she's an independent now, whatever. I'm like, yeah, but you're still pushing people towards Joe Biden. How independent are you really if you're still trying to operate within the two-party system? Are you voting for independence? No. You see what they did? You see how they played good cop, bad cop? Well, it's a scam. It's it's like when when you've had your podcast, um, you're calling and people say, oh, I'm independent, but I'm going to vote Republican or Democrat. I'm like, really? Are you really independent? Being independent is not some, some, some badge you can just wear it. You have to basically mean it. It's kind of it's like you calling yourself anti-war. You have to fucking mean it. You don't have to be uh, anti-war for all the wars except for this one. Mm-hmm. No, you're right about that. Yeah, and... Uh, Rashida Talib, I don't know what the fuck, man. It's like a, this is not. I'm pretty sure is uh, Syria a Christian country or a Muslim country? Because I know it could be like they might have a couple of pockets of people that are Christians, just like in Israel. I mean, well, Palestine. I'm not calling Israel Palestine. I I think it's similar to the sense that uh, most of the people there are probably Muslim, but they're probably Christians there as well. So why is she pulling that bullshit about uh, Assad gassing his own people? I was talking about that to a uh, a Syrian guy. There's a shawarma place I go to eat, and they're all Syrian. And I was uh, talking to him about Bashar al-Assad, and one of the guys says, well, I don't trust Bashar al-Assad because he seems like an op for the United States. I'm like, really? I mean, they're occupying a third of your land, bro. Like, how could he be, uh, how could he be an op? Well, he's not doing. I'm like, what? What do you you think he just likes them being and like having a base over there? But yeah, but why is he doing anything? Well, this is, I you know, I hate to say it. Um, it was great that Danny came into the chat tonight because I've been noticing this too. For whatever reason, some of the people that get the Palestine issue correct, 
they get the Syria issue wrong. They're still repeating like the State Department talking points when it comes to the attacks in Syria, even though we literally have an investigative journalist that actually won a freaking award for debunking that. You know, like for people who are not aware, Aaron Monte won won a freaking award. I think you, it was the Izzy Award. You think he does? You think Rashid does doesn't know that shit? I think they do know. This is what I'm saying. Like, I think they do. Aaron Monte is not like a. He he may be relatively unknown to people who are not paying attention attention excuse me attention to independent journalism. Oh, I'm pretty, pretty sure they know who he is. If they look up Max Blumenthal, the uh, Google you have Aaron Monte right by his name. Right, but that that's what I'm saying. And Max Blumenthal has I don't know about Aaron, but Max Blumenthal has approached uh, congressmen and women in person in D.C. before and asked them you know pretty tough questions. So they they know who Max Blumenthal is. They know who the gray zone is. So I'm pretty sure they know who Aaron Monte is. Well, they they should know who Aaron is because you know Aaron had that great moment where he was sitting in front of Chris Coons. <laughs> you think Congress doesn't know who he is by now? <laughs> yeah. And you, and you saw the look on Chris Coon's face when he said the publication that he worked for, right? He was like, I'm with the gray zone. You saw a look on his face. Uh, it, was a, it was like, basically, why is there an ant in front of me? They they know. I mean, they, they're aware. Like, I, I've been saying before, you guys notice they're starting to say some of the talking points that we say on RBN. And now you're starting to hear some of the mainstream media commentators say these same things. They, I think they also watch some of the independent media shows. I really think they do. Oh, did you pick up anything that you might think that they, they're watching your shows and taking cues from you? Any specific wording? One of the ones was something that Joy Reid said one time. Um, this was not too long ago where she was talking about, um, well, that actually, that was a mic slip. The fucking wars. That kind yeah, of thing. yeah, starting another fucking war. She said she was texting. Yeah, but no, friend. not that. The, the Israel, it, it was something with Israel and Gaza that she said. And I was like, has she been watching independent media? It was when they started talking about the Nakba. When they started talking about how um, the Palestinian people were pulled off the land and stuff like that. And it was, I was like... What she said, I can't remember it, but what she said, it sounded like something directly from Norm Finkelstein. And that's what I was saying. I was like, have they, are they listening to like independent media as well too? So I noticed that. But if you notice the talking points that they're saying about the Democratic Party right now and what they're saying about people like Biden and all of them, they're repeating some of the same things that we've been saying. And we've been saying it longer. Did you notice that um, when Norm was there, when he looked so fucking tired, I was watching this uh, interview that, uh, uh, what's his name, Nico Paled was, and this weird guy, he looks like a younger version of, uh, what's that guy that got that died, uh, um, he's a physicist, he was crippled, you you might know who, uh, I think it was Hawkins, yes. Hawkins or something, yeah, he looks like him, and I noticed that he always invites Nico on, only for Nico to constantly debate a bunch of fucking Zionists that repeat the same talking points. And at the last one I saw, Nico just fucking gave up. He's like, okay, that's it. He, he was out. And then he titled the video as if it was a W. Um, Nico Paled storms off the fucking thing. I'm, I think Nico was like, oh my God, man, how many of these assholes do I have to fucking deal with who repeat the same fucking talking point? 
And you could tell Norm Vukestein was fucking tired. He was like, oh, this guy again. This guy is so fucking tiring. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I know you're talking about those guys. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, well, I think Norm Vukestein might have just been tired. He had, he had to be doing with dealing with Zionists. And, and the fact that he had to lie about Norm Finkelstein's parents, or oh, you hate your parents. I'm like, Norm repeats the same question. It's not that he hates his parents. In fact, he tried to be like a moderate to to the plight, saying, well, what about the other you know, Jews? You can't say that for everybody. Like his parents, they have a lived experience. They didn't give a fuck. They said, if they're going to bomb us, we're going to take some of them with us. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's just, it's, but you know, I just think I'll, I'll let you go in a second. No, well, I just think at this point, I really do think people need to stop bringing Rabbi Shmuley on their show. I think it's borderline toxic at this point. This guy, I'm telling you again, I think this guy's a con artist. I think he's a hustler and he's also a liar. Go ahead. Uh, Noel. Um, good evening. I was just going to say, you know, there is a benefit to having those types um, to give them some type of airtime because it demonstrates how far the um, narrative is just gone. And you see people like um, Rabbi Shmuley representing the issue it demonstrates how desperate they are to try and seize control of the narrative but the narrative is just way out there it's nobody is buying it and so he spent most of his time trying to defame or discredit norm and it was just kind of sad because it was obvious that he was being overzealous and once you see that i think he thought he was striking you know the nail on the head but it just really seemed like an unhinged person because he was all over the place. And as Pierce said a number of times, you know, you're on this ad hominem attack, but you're not really answering the questions. And so it, it was clear, but, you know, to your point, I think, you know, it should be limited in terms of the time that those people are given airspace. But the other thing is, um, it's kind of bothersome to me that when we see these issues addressed about, you know, Israel and what's going on in Palestine, Gaza, they always start with Israel. Very little is dealt with with respect to Israel being a settler colonial project that really just got its official inception in 1948. I think if you take the discourse back to that point and cause more questioning of the legitimacy of Israel proper, which is what Bree did when she was dealing with Dean Phillips. Mm -hmm. Just makes the, you know, the insanity of the whole thing just stand right out. It's like, hold on. But, you know, it's, I understand the dynamic, but for me, you know, Norm did seem low energy. But his points were clear and they were rational and logical. And Shmuley was just all over the place. And it was clearly he was preoccupied with trying to discredit Norm. Which yeah, because there was a point where um, even Norm seems like he wanted to snap at uh, at Pierce Morgan at some point, And then he kind of backed down on it. I would have I would have wished he, he did that. 
as for Rashida Talib, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck is going on with R- Rashida and, and um, like I said, the Assad. Because uh, I thought like the Muslims were like united over Palestine in general. I didn't expect her to basically do that shit. Because she doesn't expect. She doesn't think there might be some Syrians in her in her district. Um, I I think the the idea is to withhold their vote for Joe Biden in the primary, and that would put pressure on Joe Biden to implement the ceasefire. And then in return, they would vote for him in the general. Yeah, I doubt that. I mean, Joe Biden can just keep bombing and they'll still vote for Well, I don't know if they'll still vote for him. Some will, but he doesn't. They don't care. The Democrats, like Jenkins likes to say this thing that the Democrats are paid to lose. Mm-hmm. Whether they lose, in a way, they win because their journals pay them money. Mm-hmm. Fundraise. If they fundraise, they don't need to talk about Anything that fucking matters in your country, they're just gonna focus on LGBTQ rights, and they won't do shit for any of those topics. They want to make you distract for. So the thing I would ask you, Shara, then is is why why is it like this? Why why are both parties like this? Because the donors can basically took over Washington. That's why. Because mm-hmm. they're corrupt. They're they're chasing the money. You know, everything Tlaib does is is theater and fake because she's just interested in keeping her position and getting paid. I mean, you saw when the squad got really excited, right, is when they when they censured one of them and threatened her job. Then it was, oh, all hands on deck. It's, you know, it's back to the money and corruption. It starts from the top. And I I just think if we're not centering and focusing on that, then then we're, we're missing the plot. Well, if, you, if you're gonna if you're gonna get fired, well, yeah. why don't I just say I don't give a fuck no more? I'm sorry, what? I say if you're gonna get fired, if she was gonna get, she was worried gonna get fired, just say I don't give a fuck no more and just go all in. Go right, all but you notice what happened? She didn't get fired. She's doing just fine, exactly. and she's still pulling in her salary, and she's gonna get reelected. And you know, it's, it's this false opposition. As long as they play that game and don't buck the actual power the actual money too much, then they stay on the gravy train. It's going to be up to us, the 99%, to call it out mercilessly and to demand real change and get in the streets over it. Okay. Uh, I noticed that you did a segment, Sabrina, that wasn't in the, it wasn't in the, in the thumbnail because you squeezed the Bernie Sanders one, I think, with the Novara Media. That was still part of the Rashida Tlaib thing. Okay. 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 Yeah. those are one of the, the new channels I'm watching. They're a little bit, oh, I would say liberal because they they even give a thumbs up to TYT as if TYT was that fucking left to begin with. But I think that they, they they don't know TYT's just shit. And um, Bernie Sanders, what a fucking cuck. I mean, he can't even say ceasefire, humanitarian pause. You know that fucking shit makes me want to rip my hair out every time I fucking hear that shit. Like, what's a humanitarian humanitarian pause? Like, don't don't bring in food. I don't know. I just I know that, you know, Bernie Sanders, in in my opinion, has just lost the plot. I mean, he's but this didn't just start like Bernie, again, is playing his role. So that's how we have to look at a lot of these people like they're playing their role. So Bernie's role is to push for some type of progressivism, but nothing that's too risque. Right. 
And then even then, Bernie Sanders is only willing to go so far. So that is the piece that you always have to pay attention to. Notice he's not willing to go that far. So he's there to give you some hope and some idea that you're going to get some type of progressive change. But at the end of the day, remember, Bernie Sanders also caves to the establishment because he is still part of the establishment. So that's that's the thing. This guy can't even say the word genocide. He, he can't even say that they're doing a genocide. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah that, that was funny. Uh, he, he evens, uh, he's okay to basically call out Hamas, but he can't even call. Well, in fact, people brought up on Twitter that he, he owned a house in the kibbutz, him and Noam Chomsky. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. No, they, they said it on Twitter that they went in his younger years, they basically owned the place. They lived there in the kibbutz in, in Israel. Maybe they did. I mean, I, you know, I don't know about Noam, but I know Bernie Sanders is Jewish, so he can do that. He can go over there and, you know, live in Israel. Remember, he has the right to return. I mean, the, uh, yeah, the right to return. That's like some bullshit, like made up by the Zionists. I mean, part, part of the game with the narrative management is to get everybody arguing over things like ceasefire and humanitarian pause when we should be arguing in a way that the argument is they're, they're corrupt and, you know, Israel should be getting zero military aid. And, you know, this, this whole thing needs to be, <laughs> needs to be um, broken up in, in a huge way, but instead they get us arguing over, you know, Oh, ceasefire, not ceasefire arguing over, you know, Oh, vote for Biden in the primary or not. You know, and, and that's the game. And it's up to us to, to get beyond arguing about the things they want us to argue about. And well, that's, I, that's, that whole don't vote for Biden during the primary makes no sense. Why not go all the way? Or because they're getting paid to not go all the way, right? <laughs> right. Like, the, 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 that's what I was trying to say. Like, the goal is never to go all the way. They never go that far. If you ever notice, they they do a little bit to make it seem like you're going to get at least something, and then they stop right there. But they never go all the and way. The ones that do get pushed out. There as, you go. For, as for Julian Assange, do you really think he's going to get extradited and land in the United States, or they'll 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 try to kill him before he gets there? Let's say he gets a verdict, he needs to be to the U.S. But before that happens, something happens to him where he basically dies in Belmarsh. But he was convicted. That's the only thing they needed. Because if he gets into the United States, all hell's going to break loose because they don't want that shit. Right. And just imagine the amount of protests that would happen here, too. Like, if that trial took place in D.C., it would be crazy. It would be crazy. I don't think the U.S. even wants Julian Assange to come here. I think they want him to die in Belmarsh. So again, he wasn't able to make it to the hearing today because he's that sick. He's yeah. not well enough to even make it to the hearing. I don't know what Julian Assange looks like today, but I'm pretty sure he don't look the way um, he does in the pictures that actually the one I'm using for tomorrow. He does. I don't think he looks like that anymore. I'm pretty sure he's going to be looking skinny and with a lot of hair on his face. I mean, I'm sure they want him to, they want to just kill him. They want to disappear him, but it's also concerning because I, I think they could easily extradite him, put him into the military tribunal system, put him, put him in a military super, super max and just, and just, he, he'd just be gone. 
they'd be saying, oh, well, there's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a classified military trial and just, and be done. And yeah, they'd be protests, but I don't know. I'm, I'm worried they, they'll just be able to do it and disappear in that way. Unfortunately. Uh, I have an update to the story you didn't do about the hospital raid by um, the IDF. Uh, did you know Hamas basically responded to it, said that, well, one of the people that were killed was, well, a former Hamas fighter, but he he's, he he was basically like his legs were gone, so they just raided and just killed everybody. I think uh, one of the Muslim channels I watched was putting a clip of doctors basically hiding, them hearing gunfire, them saying should they make a run for it, should they not, and basically there's no updates that I don't know. Maybe IDF killed every Muslim doctor they they saw. Very interesting. Yeah, I didn't have enough time to look into that story, but that's that's very interesting, but not surprising. And and I'll say this, and I'll basically uh, log off. Uh, The Cornell West thing, and I know you talked about last night. Why is it that he couldn't just take? Well, I'm not saying he did need to tweet take the tweet down because Norman Finkelstein basically talked about how his tweet was up, and it, it was used against him, and he says. I thought about taking the tweet down, but since it's public record, he basically is keeping it up. But Cornell could have basically said, oh, I'm not taking it down, but I'm willing to take criticism for the bad tweet. Therefore, it's public record that basically I am basically listening to your uh, was the constructive criticism. I don't know why he couldn't do it like that instead of he doubled down so hard to the point where he's taking shots at everybody. And he goes on Tim Black who was happy enough to take shots at everyone, at everyone at RBN to the point where they had to invisibilize you guys for what the shit that you have been doing behind the scenes. And Tim Black was happy because he was coining a term like about the, the, the Jimmy Dore plantation. I'm like, do you not watch RBN, basically how they, they call out Jimmy for his bad takes every fucking time, or are you pretending not to know? And, and it was just... It was, let me just interrupt right there and then I'll, I'll let you finish because yeah. the problem is who do people see as RBN? So just because I may have called Jimmy out on certain things, JB may have done that. Rome may have done that. We are not the face of RBN. So the problem is when people say RBN doesn't, gotta, doesn't do blah, blah, blah. They're not, referring to me and JB in Rome because we're not the people see Nick and CJ as the face of RBN. And this isn't, I'm not saying anything here that I haven't said, you know, to Nick and CJ, like we've had this discussion before. So when they, when they say something, people see it as though, oh, that's what the entire group thinks and feels. They don't see oh, that's what Nick or CJ thinks. They see that's what the entire group feels. So I think part of the problem is, and this is just things that I've I've seen and I've heard from people myself, if it doesn't come from those two, then people assume RBN hasn't done it. So if people are saying, well, how come they don't call out Jimmy? If they're not calling him out, then even though me, JB, and Rome have, people will still see as RBN has not called him out. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it makes sense. But I do remember like Nick pulled out. Uh, he did call out Jimmy for the fact how his channel is selling like cancel culture. So he did call him out on that part. So I don't know why people are saying that <laughs> they're basically coining that term. That's and- that's not what people are referring to. What people, what some people are referring to is that they see like the the thumbnails about some of the people that are called out, right? Like the thumbnails about Cornell, the thumbnails about that we've done about Jordan Sheridan and stuff like that. And we don't make these thumbnails, by the way. I don't even have that kind of talent. But people see that and it's like, you know, why is it, where's the thumbnail calling out Jimmy? You see what I mean? So that's, that's what people are pointing to. And like I said, you know, JB has done this. JB did a whole stream about it with Rome. I've called out Jimmy before, um, which is part of the reason why we don't talk now. Um, And they're looking for that to come from Nick and CJ because they see them as RBN. That's where that comes from. And until that, until they see like a, a thumbnail of like Jimmy Dore with a clown nose on or a thumbnail of Jimmy, like, you know, in a ridiculous way for something that he said, until they see, until people see that, they'll continue to say that we won't call out Jimmy for the stuff that some of the things that he's done. Okay. So they need, they need a thumbnail to, to see it's okay. Well, I don't think it's even, I guess what I'm trying to say is, Ashura, some people look to see if you're being consistent. Like, this is something, you know, I look at, I get feedback from people. I get feedback from you guys and stuff like that. Some of it's legit. Some of it's just trolls. And you can tell the troll and stuff. And one of the things that people will do, especially when you're doing what we do, which is politics and news, and the fact that we're also Black, So we have that extra layer. There's this common misconception that we are not knowledgeable and we don't know what we're talking about. If we're not already a public figure or if we're not already, let's say uh, we haven't been a politician, we haven't worked on a campaign, that kind of thing, right? There's this common idea that it's assumed we don't know what we're talking about. People don't have that thought with white commentators. They're already given the benefit of the doubt that they do know what they're talking about and they don't necessarily have to prove it. We have to prove it, right? So you add all those things together. And so one of the things that people will look to is to see, are they being consistent? And if people see that it's, we're more likely to call out someone for their bad takes, right? Um, Some of the bad, some of the things that they've said or whatever, but then they see that we don't do that when, like you said, Jimmy has these bad takes. Then people will see that we're not consistent. And they'll hold that against you. And so I think that's where some of that comes from. That's where some of it comes from. And my whole thing is, is just that I don't know why Cornell West has the tweet up. I don't know Cornell West in that way. And all I will tell you is from my experience is that I've worked with faculty for a long time. And from my experience working with faculty, there's a lot of ego 
And it is very difficult to get them to actually listen to what you have to say and actually do it. Not saying that they won't listen to you and hear you out, but getting them to do it is a whole other thing. From my experience, you have to get them to believe that it's their idea. And if it's not their idea, they're less likely to do it. I'm just being honest with you. So there's there's ego, there's some of that. Um, you saw the tweet probably from Peter of Peter telling people, which some of this I knew. I like I didn't say anything because I figured number one, it wasn't my place to say some of the things that I knew, and I had a feeling it would come out eventually, and I was right. <laughs> and here the, we are. You mean the here thing of him? You mean the thing of him leaving because his mom is sick? No, like the the tweet that that um they've they've read on RBN the tweet that Peter tweeted the other day where he said that uh, he has respect for Cornell West but he disagrees with the tweet and here's the reason why or he disagreed with the conversation that um, Dr. West had saying that him and Jill um, weren't trustworthy. Yeah, okay, that 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 shit didn't make no sense to me from Cornell after he basically hired Peter and then said, well, he's basically disgusting. He's this well, he didn't say he's disgusting. I'm paraphrasing here. He was saying he's saying he's a bad dude. Uh he should have never trusted Jill. Jill's untrustworthy. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Well, but what that go to show you were sure is in and like I said, when people kept asking me, why don't both of them just get together and run together? As I said before. You know, I asked him that during my interview and he said, just because we have similar policies and platforms doesn't mean we should work together. He said there has to be trust involved. So what he said on Tim's show in reference to the trust issue, that was not surprising to me because he said that to me on the show. He said it in a nicer way. Right, Eric? Because Eric was in the background when we recorded the, the interview. He said it in a nicer way. But he still was letting us know that he did not have that trust. But anyway. I hope now that everybody can see that Peter Dow was not making these decisions for Dr. West, which is what I tried to tell people before. The decision to leave the Green Party, that was not Peter Dow's decision. <laughs> the decision to take the money from Harlan Crow, that was not Peter Dow's decision. In fact, Peter advised him against doing those things. Well, didn't so Peter... you see? But didn't Peter say that he advised Marianne and Cornell West to run as independent? Plus, you have you talked about how Ralph Nader also can finally convinced him to leave. Peter did not tell him to leave the Green Party. So you're talking about we're talking about going back now. So, yes, Marianne, he would tell her to run as an independent because Marianne was not going to be able to run through the Green Party. That just wasn't going to happen. Same thing with RFK Jr. RFK Jr. wouldn't have been interested in running through the Green Party. You see what he's saying? He's kind of looking at the Libertarian Party, right? So there's that. But the thing is, I mean, this stuff was said. I don't know why some people are surprised by this information because Cornell West said some of this stuff in multiple interviews. In one of my interviews, when I asked him, like, why'd you leave the Green Party? That's literally the title of the interview. Here's why I left the Green Party. And he said, Ralph Nader came to him right after he joined the Green Party and told him to leave the Green Party. So um, do you think Nader has become an op or something? 
Yes, I called this out a couple months ago. Listen, guys, when there was that article, when he was interviewed, I think it was the Washington Post. It's either the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal. I have to go back and check. And he had the interview with them. And they asked him, you know, where he thought he stood politically. And he said that he would do everything in his power that he could to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't win and to help Joe Biden. He was quoted saying that. And then when he then when Bree interviewed him on bad faith, he said he was misquoted. I told you guys I did not believe he was misquoted. Yeah, because that's what I heard. Because people were making excuses. Bree was saying, No, 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 he was misquoted. I'm like, really? I mean, it seems like he was telling the fucking truth. Because I, I, I think that it got to I him. don't like, I, I think, don't okay, believe I don't believe he was misquoted because the thing is he could have easily asked for a retraction and they would have retracted it. If you were misquoted and you don't want that to get out there like that, all you have to do is ask for a retraction and they could have retracted that 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 part of the article. They do this all the time. They update articles and say, FYI, this article has been updated because such and such. I didn't believe that. I really believed. And if you go back and you listen to the interview with him and Bree, I want you to really listen to what Ralph Nader is telling you. He's saying like, yeah, both the parties are bad. But at the same time, he also tells you, but you can't get Donald Trump again. What he's really telling you is like, yeah, the parties are bad, but you can't get Donald Trump again. So you got to do whatever you can to make sure that Trump does not win. And that means voting for the Democratic Party. Why do y'all think, think about this, guys. Why would Ralph Nader come to Cornell West the moment he announces he's running with the Green Party, right? And say, you need to leave the Green Party. Why would Ralph Nader do that? Unless he knew that Cornell West had a chance of being successful. Because you got to remember, Ralph Nader ran for president under the Green Party and then as an independent. Ralph Nader had more ballot access as a Green than he did as independent. I just saw a poll today that says RFK Jr. and Cornell West have 13% apiece of African-American support. 13% apiece of African-American support. Donald Trump has 15. As it stand right, stands right now, Joe Biden does not have enough of the African-American vote to actually win. So what that means is that Ralph Nader, that was him hopping in to make sure that Cornell West did not disrupt anything that could make it more plausible for Donald Trump to win and succeed. And even if that means that you have to help Joe Biden again, so a lot of these people have just become like a lot of these people have Trump derangement syndrome, Ashura. I, that's I, I that's think, what it is now. I think most of it. Well, yeah, the Trump derangement syndrome. That's the, the, yeah, that's true. I think also it's the the piling on him for basically. Uh, I think who lost against him? It was um, George W. Bush. Yeah, Herbert Bush. I think it was Herbert. No, no, it was Bill Clinton. Uh, no, no, it was no Al Gore. Al Gore lost to uh, George, uh, the stupid Bush, the son. He lost to him because he was running. So I guess basically the Democrats never forgave him for that for running third party. No. Plus the Trump thing, he, he broke his brain. Uh, he, that's, he broke that's, that's what I'm trying to tell you guys. Some people like after Trump. Even some of the ones that were like, we need to fight against the duopoly. Some of those people are like, oh, hell no, we can't get Trump again. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But the thing is, there's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be a Trump. There's always going to be that person. 
And so what, what are we, you know, what, what are we supposed to do? You know, but as for why he didn't take down the, the, the tweet or whatever, I don't know. It sounds like ego. That, that shit made no sense to me when I heard the excuse for it. Even Tim Black was like dumbfounded and he was trying to make excuse for it. He was saying, well, guys, he's a, he's a political prisoner as a Christian. I've, no, no, I've there is to... no, there, there is no, as a Christian, I'm yeah, sorry. I'm like... Look, I, I grew up in the church too. JB grew up in the church too. You can't get out there and say you're fighting against white supremacy. And then you're giving shout outs to a literal Nazi. You put him next to Mumia Abu-Jamal, somebody that that person would, would never want to be next to. You can't do that. You can't do it. I want to be very clear about this, people. And I made this, I said this to, to Dr. West under his tweet. I told him, I said, no, you can't do that. You can't put these two together in the same category. So how are you going to, you can't be like, I'm running against to fight against white supremacy and you shouting out white supremacists. You can't, just like when I said, when he took the billionaire money, I criticized that as well. What did I say? I said, no, you should not take money from billionaires, especially one who has Nazi memorabilia. Yeah, it's really, it's really funny to me, but because I'm not screaming out the rooftops or whatever, and because I'm not, you know, I don't know, dancing around or, or shouting or whatever about it, people come to me and say, oh, well, Sabby, uh, she, she, she didn't push Cornell or anything. She didn't criticize Cornell. I criticized Cornell multiple times. Yeah, multiple were, times. People don't watch anything. Yeah, people, people don't do any people, research. They just somebody, repeat shit they hear other people say. Somebody came after you. I don't remember if it was a notorious tweet, but someone came for you. They kind of said, Nick and CJ, they kind of defended Wes at one point, but then they criticized them. But then they say, when they came to you, I'm like, oh, Sabrina doesn't criticize Dr. Wes. She, he, she defends him. I'm like, are you sure you're basically getting the same Sabrina? Yeah, I think that like the problem is people don't actually watch. They just look and see what does the thumbnail say? And that'll tell me what happened in this video. No, it'll tell you what the subject is about. But if you want to see what was actually said in the video, you actually have to watch the video. That's how this works. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I'm going to let people keep going. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Noel, I'm going to go ahead and go to you. Um, you know, I'll pick up where we are with the Cornell thing. Um, I did watch the interview on Tim Black. And like I've said before, it's just apparent to me that this whole running for president was not something that Dr. West had really thought out before he embarked on this journey. And, you know, all of the missteps along the way, he has to take responsibility for those. Um, I think he doesn't really, you know, he's a public intellectual, of course, and he's written the books, yada, 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 but no one knows it all. And I think he really doesn't understand the project and he finds himself, you know, unwilling to bend to be a candidate. He's just determined to just be Cornell and this and that. And no one is saying he should change who he is 
as a person. But if you're going to undertake the process of running for president, that is a different project. And you do have to be able to bend what would be some of your normal activities to accommodate getting to know different constituencies. You know, yes, you have a built-in inroad into the Black community and some of the activist circles and the, you know, some of the Muslim circles, because these are the um, constituencies that you've grown up with and cultivated over the years. But if you're running for president of the United States, expressly with an objective to dismantle empire, you're going to have to do a whole lot of outreach and you need to be reaching out to those communities that are less familiar with you early on. And then there's the whole ballot access thing that he clearly did not fully contemplate before he jumped into this whole thing. So, you know, it's sad to me because I see him in that interview, he was lashing out and, you know, there is a way that you can um, disagree or have disagreements with other political, you know, public personalities without coming across as so combative. And, you know, for the, you know, comments that he made about Jill Stein, you know, I think, like you say, that was the the most stringent that I have heard him comment about her. And it was quite kind of alarming because to say, you know, a person is untrustworthy is really a serious statement when you were with that party for a minute. And then he said, if I had to look deeper, maybe I wouldn't have been involved in the first place. Well, yeah, you should have looked deeper. And but to make that type of comment in terms of another person who's running for president, when in the big picture, we are really in a desperate place with the duopoly. I'm like, are you thinking about the political ramifications of some of the things you're saying? And, you know, you just get into this, I'm a jazz man, I'm a jazz man. And I'm saying, well, sometimes, you know, at, if you are so, you know, determined to just maintain a rigidity around who you are and how you move, maybe you should look up and say, you know, I value my role as a public intellectual and the freedom that comes with that. And I can't find myself in the role of candidate for president because it obviously requires some adjustments that I'm not willing to make. But I think, you know, he's doing all this running and ripping around. And, you know, I understand that these people are, elders. They are tired. You know, just like Norm Finkelstein, these people have been out there a long time. And I just can't imagine the emotional and spiritual wear and tear it takes to be doing all of this ripping and running around at this age. Not to say he's incompetent or anything, but I believe when we are not well rested, we tend to just you know, say things that we ordinarily would not say if we had time to contemplate them. But, you know, I thought it was, you know, when he said that Nick and CJ and he referenced them as their, you know, lack of develop or rested development, I was like, wow, you know, that's really, you know, being very impolitic in a certain kind of way. But, you know, it's him. He said what he said, and he has to live with it. 
and and everybody else has to make their adjustments. Um, I think, you know, I think everybody operates differently, right? So for me, what I try to do, if I have issues with the way that someone's doing something, if I have access to that person, if I mean, if I have their contact information, if I have access to that, that person, what I try to do is to bring them on the show and ask them face to face. Like when I brought Cornel West on the very first time when he announced, well, actually that's the second time he came on my show, but it was the first time it was right. It was the same week he announced on Russell Brand's show. And then he came on my show. If everybody remember that interview, I told him about the people's party. I tried to tell him all these things. I told him the people's party didn't have ballot access. I told him about the allegations that was against Nick Brana. Uh, the second time he came on after he said, I think the second time was, um, might've been when he left the green party. And I told him, this is the concern. I showed him the fucking data. I said, Dr. West, this is how much money you have to raise in a state like California, for example, as an independent to get on the ballot. This is how many signatures you have to get. Yada, yada. It's going to be harder as an independent. I told him to his face. And that's usually what I try to do. I don't. Now, if it's someone I don't have access to, for example, like and I know is not going to even try to come on like Crystal and Kyle, for example, I have no access to these people. I've never met these people. I've never spoken to these people. So if they do some some crazy shit and I want to talk about it, I'm just going to talk about it. I'm not going to I can't invite them to come on because I don't have their contact information. But if I have your contact information, I'm going to invite you to come on and have this conversation with you face to face. Just like when Jill came on and I asked her, you know, it's. The elephant in the room is you were the one that mentioned Peter Dow and Cornell left the Green Party and people kind of look at it as though, you know, uh, now you're the one running the Green Party. Was there some type of, you know, <laughs> trickery afoot? I asked her to her face and I think so that's how I try to handle things. I think on the RBN side, if I remember correctly, I think. I think they, if maybe Nick, I think they did reach out to Dr. West after he decided to leave the Green Party. But I think what may have happened, because there was already the show about the criticism or whatever, I think that's why he did not come back on. Now, what you also have to understand is since he's been running the campaign, he does not book his own interviews anymore. So in order to book an interview with him, you have to go through his wife. She books, she's the one that books the interviews and says, okay, let me look at his schedule, yada, yada, that kind of thing. Um, In fact, the very first time he came on my show, like the interview was booked through her, not through Dr. West. So what I'm saying is this is a problem that some of us run into in independent media. When people ask, why don't you bring this person on? Sometimes the person that we have to communicate with is not that individual, it's an assistant or somebody else who's handling the interview booking. And if they don't give you the access to that person and say, okay, the person's gonna come on, then it never happens. Now, I I will say this, I think, and I've had this conversation, we've had this conversation RBN, I think for some people, the way that because you know nick and cj they go hard like if, if you piss them off they go hard they, they do not play around right i think some people 
don't know how to take that. And so what will happen is they'll just not respond or say, you know, oh, I'm too busy, but not give another date. That's another way of people saying no, by the way, and not come on. And so that makes it hard for them to have that, Nick and CJ to have that conversation with that person face-to-face. I think some people don't like to be spoken to that way. Like some people don't like to be, and sometimes I have to remind myself of this too, because you guys know, like I, I yell on my show sometimes, but when I bring on a guest, right. know, I, try, I try not to do that. It it was brought to my attention uh, that before I started my show, it was brought to my attention one time uh, by a, a colleague of mine that for some people that's triggering. And it was it was brought to my attention by a former member of RBN that for them it was triggering because they came from an abusive relationship. And so it, when they when someone yells at them, it takes them back to that place. So I have worked on my communication over the years. I was not always, you know, this way with my communication. And I had to learn how to tailor my communication to the person that I'm speaking to doesn't mean you can't push back on them, but I've had to learn how to communicate with people in different ways. And, but I think, you know, it's all of this to me, like last night when I hopped on, I told them I'm just very, very disappointed. Uh, I'm, I'm really upset because I really did not think that Dr. West would, would stoop to that level. I have watched Jill Stein go on multiple interviews for the past two weeks. And every time she was asked about Cornell West leaving the Green Party or them partnering up, Jill Stein never once threw Cornell West under the bus, not once. Whatever happened behind the scenes, she kept that behind the scenes and she never disrespected him, at least publicly. So when I saw him do that, I was just kind of like, so that's the reason why you really left. And when you came on my show, and I asked you, you said it was too many hoops to jump through all these things you got to do within the party just to get the nomination. But it sounded like to me, based on what I heard the other day, the real reason was Jill and Peter. And so now we got to ask this question. When Peter Dow says that he's leaving the Cornell West campaign because his parents are sick, which he used that same excuse for Marianne Williamson. Now we got to ask, was that really the case? Or was Peter pushed out because of the untrustworthiness that Dr. West spoke about. Well, see, for me, it's, you know, if you, if Dr. West felt like he could not trust those two, I would have expected, you know, maybe in his very personal circles, like with Chris Hedges or someone behind the scenes, he might have a private discourse about that. But certainly when you come to the public, because there's so much more at stake than just your perception of what the situation was, because, you know, Jill Stein has a perspective and so does Peter Dow. But when we come to the public forum, there are certain things that are best kept unsaid. You know, we are talking about the bigger project of trying to insert ourselves in duopoly thing and that has to be the bigger picture um so for you to you know come in this fashion and then it's a slightly you know different 
um, statement that you made early on, people are going to start looking at Dr. West a little more circumspect because it's like, um, that's not what you said the first time. You multiple, made it seem like it was multiple times. No, well, it wasn't just, he didn't, it, it wasn't just that Dr. West didn't say that to me. He didn't say that to Jordan Sheraton. He didn't say that to Bree. He didn't say that to Katie Halper, all these other shows that he went on. He didn't say that to Black Power Media. So he's done several interviews and people ask the same thing. Now we hear this come out and it's like, it's Jill and Peter and all this. I'm like, oh, so that's the real reason why things turned out the way that they did. Here's the thing. This is not an academic position. You are running for president of the United States. The president has a team around him and the president has advisors that they actually listen to. And it almost kind of sounded like he wanted to be surrounded by people that were just going to say yes. I told exactly. him multiple times, how many times did I say, Dr. West, I think it'd be great for your campaign if you talked more about corruption. We told him all these things. I told him in the very first interview that Joe Biden was still a fascist. He continued, and I explained to him and gave him specific examples, and he continued to say the same thing. I told him that what would happen with him leaving the Green Party and what he was going to face with the ballot access. He didn't want to listen to me then either. Now he's starting a new, had to start a new party to get ballot access in some of those states that I was telling you guys about that I told him about. So, and it's not just me. Other people told him these things as well. You're running for president. When people see you making wishy-washy moves, you can't be doing that because then people look as though, can I trust you to actually be president of this country? And not to say that Dr. West was going to win anyway, but right now, like I said, there's a poll that shows he has 13% of African-American uh, support. But the thing is, you have to be willing to listen to what other people say. And yes, no, I don't have a PhD. And yes, I am younger than you. However, when it comes to electoral politics, I know how the system works. I know about ballot access. I know about ballot initiatives. So that's why I was trying to tell him. And it was just like, I felt like it went in one ear and out the other. And I don't think he realized just how difficult this was going to be as, as like an independent when you don't have that infrastructure. But I don't understand why the need to bring up Jill and Peter and also a Jamu Baraka and to slam all these people because they criticized you about shouting out a Nazi next to Mumia. Sometimes it's good just to be humble and say, man, I fucked up. That was wrong. Won't have that happen again. I get what you guys are saying. And I'll even say it to you guys here tonight. I feel bad because I feel like I got some of you guys excited about Dr. West's campaign. And then the moment he left the Green Party, I was like, well, I'll be damned, you know? And see, this is why even earlier on, when people were like, should you volunteer? You need to volunteer for the Green Party or volunteer for this. This is why I said I would not volunteer for any campaigns again after Bernie Sanders, because people don't listen. People really don't listen. They think they know everything. Bernie Sanders didn't even want to listen to Nina Turner when she told him he needed to have a reparations plan. So it's just like, I said, I would never do that again. Never again. And then people announced they were running and people were like, 
Sabrina, you should volunteer for the West campaign. Oh, Sabrina, you should volunteer for Jill Stein campaign. I told people, no, I ain't volunteering for no more campaigns since Bernie Sanders. Am I doing that again? Because we really got to ask ourselves, like, I am so angry at the fact that we really had someone who was really well known. He is still traveling across the country to meet people. And it was just like, I didn't understand why he chose to run with the People's Party. I know Nick Brana asked him, but still, they didn't have ballot access either. And so there was there was the issue with the people. This is the other thing. For people saying, you know, that criticized after he left the Green Party and said you gave up ballot access, he never had ballot access with the People's Party. So if you weren't criticizing the ballot access when he was with the People's Party, but you criticized it when he left the Green Party, what's this really about? It's just, it's, it didn't make any sense to me. I look at this as an opportunity that was just totally ruined, totally ruined. Could you guys have imagined what would have happened if Cornell West and Jill Stein actually had teamed up together? That would have been a force to be reckoned with, but no, it had to get messed up somewhere. It had to get messed up. And so I was just like, man, fuck this, man. So, well, you know, go ahead, Roger. Um. I'm still bugging out the fact that you said that you was like Nick and CJ at one point when you said you had to change the way you approach stuff. <laughs> Sabrina? Well, maybe not to, to that extent, but I had a tendency to... I imagine. Well, I had, I had a tendency to, you know, when I disagree, disagreed with people, I had a tendency to yell. And so I had to train myself how not to do that. So one of the things that helped me learn or actually unlearn that behavior was joining the debate team. Because oh. on the debate team, we couldn't yell at each other and we could not do personal attacks. And that's what I was talking about earlier tonight with, with Rabbi Shmuley. You couldn't do personal attacks. Oh, yeah, that was you crazy. couldn't bring up religion. You can never use re religion in any of these debates because religion is a belief. And so that actually trained me and kind of got me out of feeling like I had to yell or raise my voice to prove my point. That's interesting. That's, that's interesting. Because yeah. I know you, we know you like this as the calm, cool, collected, Tai Chi type of person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's and I, and I typically was, but... I, sometimes I felt when like it comes to your interviews. That is, I mean, not not when you're like you know yelling at the screen at some fools about you know. Yeah, but I mean, like if I felt like you know I wasn't being heard or I couldn't get my point across, like I felt like I had to raise my voice in order to get my point across to people. So, like I said, I had to unlearn that, and that took time. Um, so I it's think that it's. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. And also, too, I went into a professional environment. I mean, I was an academic yeah. advisor, so I'm glad I unlearned that before I got that job. Because students are a handful, and you can't be yelling at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can imagine that that must have been definitely um, a handful. But yeah, at the same time, um, and you ain't got to feel bad about everyone getting excited about uh, West or whatever. Me personally, I was like. I, you know, I was still on my on my direct democracy thing anyway. So I was just like, 
I know. I, I guess I took it as, oh, that's cool. He's he's running. All right, we'll see how that comes. You know, the the level of the the meteoric level of Bernie Sanders excitement, Obama excitement is is not going to return to me again. So if someone that is like interesting is running, I just go, oh, that's that's pretty cool. That person's running. Who's running a ballot initiative? And well, see, the, the other thing I tried to, I continued to tell people too, is I said, guys, even though these people are running, you still have to organize within your communities. We still need to do mutual aid. I continued saying that, but what I started to notice over time is I started to know, I started to see that glow in some people's eyes. And I was like, it's yep. happening again, where yep. they, only, they only wanted to talk about who to vote for and they didn't want to do the organizing piece. But I, I think it's important that you lead people somewhere. You give people another path because if the only thing you're telling people is vote for this person and, you know, hope that they actually fix things, mm-hmm. then people are going to turn away and become disheartened, just like a lot of us did after Bernie Sanders. You have to give people something else that they can do on their own and not rely on politicians. But I noticed it when Cornell announced he was running, when Jill announced she was running RFK. I noticed some people all of a sudden what we had said before about organizing ballot initiatives and, uh, you know, organizing within your community and doing mutual aid. All of a sudden it was like, I noticed people didn't want to focus on that anymore. I know, because I was doing. Well, I saw it at the same time, probably that 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 you did, and I saw I saw it coming with within this space on calling or all these other places or whatever. That's when I started really trying driving home. We have to depend on ourselves, and a lot of people are from these states that can do it. You know, I finally was able to work. You know, hook up with somebody from here. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, Ben do and, and, and be easy who, you know what I'm saying? Where, where finally I got somebody that is, that's from, uh, you know, like one of those States that maybe we can work on something and I'm trying to work other people as well. You know, Joey was on, uh, think on a JB show t- t- today. They did a pretty good show. I saw that. I saw that. And, and the other thing I want to say too, is that, and there's some of you, you know, that I've seen too in the chats and stuff, some of you trying to divide up RBN and, and I've seen you, you think I ain't seen you, but I seen you because just because I'm not in the chat don't mean I'm not watching what's going on. That's why I had to call out John to Emily tonight because John to Emily comes into my chat and goes, Oh, hi, Sabby. Da, da, da. I'm like, bitch. You don't think I saw what you were saying about RBN like just a couple hours ago? (laughs) Just a couple hours ago? Like, get the fuck up out of here, man. Get the fuck up out of here. You ain't got to come over here and watch any of us. You don't think I I saw what you be saying? That's the thing. There are screenshots all over the fucking place. You guys would be surprised what people take screenshots of. So it's just like some of y'all come in with the bullshit Oh, my favorite person is this. My favorite person is that. Some of y'all just be trying to divide and break up RBN. And y'all think we don't see that shit and we don't realize what you're doing, but we do see and realize what you're doing. So y'all mm-hmm. can, you can get out of here with that shit. Uh-huh. You're Voltron. <laughs> you're stronger together than apart. 
um, go ahead, be easy. Okay, yeah, thanks uh, for letting me up. Could you hear me clearly? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so just to piggyback off uh, before I, you know, uh, t touch on the topics, I have seen people hopping in different chats, um, definitely trying to divide RBN up. And for people to be expecting RBN to just be, you know, kind of like a hive mind on every single topic. And you gave a fair assertion of the criticisms when you said uh, just the thumbnails. It's not really people just reducing it down to the thumbnail, but people are looking at a certain level of consistency. And, you know, what, you know, people like to say the same energy. So if the same energy is not being applied, you know, that is a critique, you know, it's right, wrong or indifferent. None, none of us um, are above reproach. So I do like how you were able to um, be objective when responding to that, because there is a lot of people that have, you know, their own critiques, you know, and you even alluded to some of them are legitimate, right? Like they should be, um, you know, worth addressing or at least considering. So you may or may not change your viewpoint. Others is just like kind of trolling and, we as a collective got to not really give that stuff so much energy, especially even frivolous stuff. I think people are giving, you know, Cornell West a little bit too much credit anyways, because when you talk to a lot of people that's heavily critiquing them, just simply ask, like, are you voting for him or were you planning on voting for him? And they'll like quickly vehemently say no, but they just want more content kind of like, rage ranting about them even though you don't even plan on voting for them and you're not presenting an alternative that's better right if this dude is so horrible and i and i'm okay with critiquing him i i none no none of these candidates ha have secured my vote so the couch currently has my vote until i solidly see someone um you know, but I do think uh, Cornell's policies are the best, you know, not him uh, as the politician, but he does have the best policy. Um, but a lot of people are not really voting for him, not really checking for him until there's some controversy. Like he, he liked a tweet or he shared a tweet, you know, look, I, I wouldn't be sharing Nazis, praising Nazis or doing any of that stuff. But why why is anyone acting surprised? Like this is this is who he always has been. Like just go watch the footage of the sister soldier. Yes, he has evolved. And I'm not saying this is a bad dude or you should be hating him or slandering him. But a lot of people are even using Cornell West to kind of divide RBN like Savvy, what's your take? Well, he said this about that. Well, look, Nick and CJ is big boys, you know. They can make their own response. You know, if he says something directly towards people, people can make their own response. I am from the era where you call people. I have a direct line to Savvy. I'm a call Savvy Savvy. Man, I do not agree with this. Why would you post that? You know, and, and I'll let it be. I express my opinion, you know, um, because in a way, when you have access to, uh, you know, certain people of that esteem, you know, like them or not, hey, I'm doing mutual aid on the ground. Look, if he running this silly campaign, I'm going to use him to my advantage. I'm going to just bring him on my show and, um, 
you know, help him signal boost what I want. If he want to be on this goofy vanity project, I know he's not going to win. I'm going to use him in this way. You know what I mean? But instead, if you're kind of demonizing people to a way, it's like, like, what, what are you trying to do really? Right. Cause you're already not going to vote for him. So why don't you just use them to get your message out, right? To, to talk about the topics you want. Have an event in whatever your city and you have access to Cornell West, have Cornell West come and speak there. Now it's not even who cares about his campaign. You're building something bigger. Talk about ballot initiative and Cornell West comes there. You know, but it, it, if you are kind of throwing shade, people are going to throw shade back, you know. So it's, you know, not really right or wrong in that regard, um, and I got more to say, but uh, Sabby, did you have anything to say about? Yeah, I was just gonna I... say something, and then I'll go to Eric. Um, the other thing that's really funny too: all of us were on RBN last night. But what's funny is people will pretend like it was just Nick and CJ, and if like me and JB and Rome weren't on, didn't get on there as well. That's that's the other thing. And I, I said exactly how I felt, you know, on RBN. And what's really interesting to me is that, especially ever since I started growing, people have been trying to divide me and RBN. Oh, Sabby shouldn't be with RBN because she's not as, as hardcore as you guys. None of us are the same. We never were, even in the beginning. That was the whole point. You bring all these different people together that agree Ideologically, we all agree. Politically, we agree. But we have different opinions. That That's the whole point. And I think sometimes people feel like we're all supposed to have the same opinion on everything. And like, no, we are all individuals at the end of the day that come together. And like uh, Nick says, form like Voltron. On certain issues... We're all in lockstep. Like I said, politically, when it comes to ideology, we all on the same page. But we do have different opinions, you know? And I mean, like, some people were not okay with that. And, you know, some people have left because of that, because they kind of felt like we should all be the same. And that's just not how it is. So I think that, like, it it really, it's really frustrating, like, when people say that kind of stuff, but it's just, it's so fucking annoying. It's so obvious what people are trying to do. It's so obvious that people are trying to divide us and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, and I've said this multiple times, I'm my own person, and I'm not a follower. I've never been a follower. I never will be a follower. So I don't care what so-and-so says or what so-and-so is doing. I observe things for myself. And just because I don't yell at someone or call them names or whatever, that doesn't mean that I don't disagree with what they're doing. In every interview I had with Cornell West, I told him what I disagreed with. Every single one. So has Black Power Media. So has Brianna Joy Gray. We all express these things. But at the end of the day, it's up to him to receive it. And he wasn't willing to receive it. So it is what it is. It's unfortunate that things played out the way that they did. I really wish he would have apologized for that tweet because that was just ridiculous. But, you know, like I said, working with faculty before, I've dealt with this where, like, they just don't want to admit when they are in the wrong. And so it, it, it sucks, I think, 
you know, I, I don't know what else is <laughs> happening with um, Dr. West's campaign. I think he really, I feel like he ended his campaign when he did that. I feel like the starting, the beginning of the end of his campaign was when he left the Green Party because he wasn't prepared for what you have to go through to get on the ballot as an independent. And also it was just, I had heard from other people who had volunteered for the campaign, who had reached out to me and told me that they had never even heard back. It's been a number of people who have said that. Like they volunteered, they didn't know what they were supposed to do. They didn't know where they were supposed to go and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, that's not good. You know, whereas I think with the Green Party, I think the difference was is like they do have the infrastructure, they're used to doing this and they know what to do. And that's where like listening to someone like Jill actually would have been beneficial because she's been through this before. But at the end of the day, like I can't make someone listen. Hey, Savvy, thanks for bringing me up to the queue. I, I didn't think I was going to get on that quickly for some reason because I I've been having some issues when every time somebody calls, it just drops or something happens and I and I lose the sound. So I have to like rejoin. So thanks for letting me back in the queue and getting to talk. You know, with Cornell, I, I you know, I've always admired the guy as a younger person reading his books uh, years ago. I, I just saw him as a figure of, of, of um, what was good. I mean, I still do. And, uh, you know, he is an older guy. And and probably when when he does come on these shows, when he's come on RBN, uh, just the fact that he was coming on there early, early on was very to me was a good sign that he was going to be open minded. Right. But uh, realistically, he does have an ego uh, or a way of looking at things and he may have had uh, the unwillingness to just say, hey, you know what, I got to listen to these young people and take to action what they're telling me. Uh, and maybe he didn't look at it that way. He was like, okay, I know better because of what, for whatever reason, his experience, his, his academics, whatever it may be. But he needed to be more humble. He needed to be more strategically minded. He needed to reach out to the people because he was campaigning. He was not going to be able to play jazz the whole you know way through this. He was going to have to be strategically minded. Uh, and he wasn't, you know, in part because he lacked experience in this area. Uh, as, as somebody was running and, and also because of his ego or whatever it is that's holding him from just saying, hey, look, I'm sorry. And now that he came and made, made these tweets about, you know, these guys that are clearly he's wrong on. And uh, I saw some of the show with, with CJ uh, Rome and uh, Nick. I didn't get a chance to see the later parts of the show where you, you were on. And JB, I saw, uh, I, I, I just didn't have the, the opportunity to see that far into it. But I know that, uh, you know, CJ and Nick were not mincing any punches and neither was Rome. Uh, you know, it was kind of harsh to hear them, you know, coming at them or just saying some of the things. I, I didn't want to have them say the things that they were saying, but I, but I you know, they were being honest, uh, just like they always are. Uh, it's just hard. It was hard for me to want to hear it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, man, you know, you don't want he, he didn't want to listen. You know, he didn't want to uh, take some of these things in and, and, and really digest them and then bring them back into a strategy that would be more fruitful for, for, for everybody. And instead, you know, he's done what he's done. And in some ways, unfortunately, he's proven many of his critics 
correctly, you know, that he wasn't serious about it, or, or it seems that way. Uh, and that's unfortunate because I really wanted him to prove all these people wrong. Uh, but the fact that, you know, I didn't even know that he has said these things about Dr. Jill Stein, that, that you know, that the, the lack of trust or whatever, that's a big, I mean, you know, that's a big blow. Uh, <clears throat> and hopefully they can, they can work that out somewhere down the road and, and, and come clean. Uh, and, and, you know, there, there was, a, I think it was Noel that was saying, you know, that he's probably tired. I can see that. And, you know, he's probably frustrated with everything that he's got to face. He's never done this. Uh, and uh, just a number of things that he's done wrong. And I think he's been trying to appease the people that he's close to up there in the status quo area to some degree, uh, or just, you know, not coming as hard as he could have. And clearly he knows that a lot of what RBN and other people have been telling him is correct. But his ego and unwillingness to just be open-minded to this has prevented him from just, you know, saying, yeah, I, I, I made a mistake, you know, and I need to come clean with this. Um, but, you know, it is what it is, you know, and, and we, we can't oh, go ahead, Roger. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I warned everybody about putting putting this hope and faith in these politicians. You know what I mean? That we're going to have to all get on code, okay? And and if you, like yourself, live in a ballot initiative state and start doing these things to get what you want where you're at, yourself. You know what I mean? Because these guys are not coming to save you. And if like if happen, you organize, you literally could have more power than a presidential candidate right. right now. But like Roger is saying, everyone is looking for someone to save them. Sometimes, I mean, keep it real. Sometimes people are looking for Sabby to save them, for Sabby to talk about. Sabby, talk about all of the stuff that's going on in my uh, city and state and my ballot initiative. Like, I mean, come on, like how many states could she look up? I mean, it is gracious that she's doing that to keep you informed. But I know Roger is reaching out to people People have access. You can use chat GPT to get you started. So at, at, at what point do do people got to start looking at themselves? Like you can make hours of content and say, Wes was wrong with Peter Dow. He was wrong with this tweet. He was wrong with that. Now that's hours upon hours that you didn't talk about organizing or doing anything to change the condition in that, your you know, city. But, but that's the other point that I that's a good point that's another point that I was going to make is that at least I'm providing you other alternatives and other solutions because the thing is like this is why I said the moment Dr. West announced I said we all know that Dr. West is not going to win but this could be the path to building up the third party movement Roger came on here that same night and said let's focus on these ballot initiatives why do you guys think I still talk about the ballot measures why do you think I still talk about like how we can organize with each other? Why do you guys think I said how we need to come together as a block and withhold our vote because we're not getting anything for our vote? Because this this is the thing, because I knew from day one, that's why I told people, I said, he's not going to win. I said that on this show and I said that or I said that on call in and I said that on my show, that this is a way to build up the third party <laughs> movement. But somehow all of a sudden people did, didn't hear that or 
they don't remember and all this stuff. And next thing I knew, people were just like, we got to get RFK and he's going to save the day. We got to get Cornell West and he's going to save the day. And I was like, Do you guys not hear what I've been saying? You have to build power at the local, the local level. And one of the ways that you do that is through organizing and ballot measures. And some of that is through local politics as well. But if you're not organizing, we're not organized within the community, we're never really going to get anywhere. And that's what I was trying to say. Some of these things that we fighting for on the national level, you can win through the states. We got to stop waiting for things to happen on the federal level. And yeah, it sucks. Like looking back on it, I hate the fact that I even told you guys, yeah, I think I'm going to support Cornell West. Looking back on it, like I'm mad at myself. I really am. And I, one thing I've learned from this experience, I told myself is like, I'm never saying I'm going to support someone again. I'm never making a public statement about that again because these motherfuckers disappoint me every damn time, every damn time. And you know what really was hurtful to me, what really hurt me was that like, why would you, Dr. West knew that RBN had like, we had a, a beef with Tim Black at one point. That beef started two years ago and we had just kind of moved on and did our own thing. And then it was actually Dr. West who brought us together when he went on Tim Black's show after he announced his run. And he said, all y'all talking about the same thing. Y'all might as well just come together. And we, we all, we all called the truce. We all called a truce. Roger, you probably remember this. We called a truce. Mm -hmm. So then he goes back on to, to Tim's show and talks shit about us. And I'm like, why would you do that? Knowing that we had a beef before and we called a truce, I felt like he was like reopening, like he was reopening old wounds. Why would you do that? Well, it's kind of partly uh, to what you um, you and Noel uh, alluded to when you said with his campaign, uh, he wanted more people to tell him yes. Uh, Tim Black was the safe platform that, you know, was not going to give him any pushback in that in this specific instance. Right. Because if he's going to respond and stick it to RBN, sure, I, I'll open my platform up to that. Not to say he's never challenged them, but when it comes to that specific topic, um, you know, taking shots at you guys, he was more than willing to give that platform. And that's when the old, old wound opened up too. you know. Yeah, and I understand that, but he didn't have to go on there and say all these people's names. He didn't have to go on there and call out Nick and CJ by name. He didn't have to go on there and call out Jill and Ajamo. Really? Yeah, no, I so agree. Everybody else, is, everybody else is wrong, and you're the only one that's right, Dr. West? And well, I, 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 I was going to say, I, I think he's... Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't know if it's all that um, personal in terms of the way he is responding. I think he, with the tweet thing, he feels as if he was attacked in certain kind of ways. And like I say, you know, he is, he clings rigidly to whom he is. And I can understand that. I just feel like you know, this run for president thing was something that he really didn't think through. And there are the signs that are there to suggest to him that this is not the project for him. And 
in a way he is in his own way because he can't see that and make that decision and say, you know, this was not, this is not the project for me. I need to go get back in my lane and do what I do best. Um, so I see these things as, as different, but you know, in terms of the space, in terms of the political space and the opportunity to look at the bigger project, because I've said before, the left, the undemocratic left, you know, outside of the Democratic Party is really not organized. And we see attempts to do things that will require, you know, a certain amount of organization of people who are left thinking. And I think he is a, a, a very important part or could be a very important part of that project if he is willing or if any anybody is willing to put their hand to the plow to get that type of thing going. Um, in terms of the bigger, broader political arena, you know, my perspective is always this system was shaped and formed in a certain kind of way and it's going to end in a certain kind of way. And I hear you know, about the local organization. Of course, that is a very important part. Um, the ballot initiatives can be an important tactic in that. But this United States experiment, I think, is beyond repair. And so people can do whatever they feel compelled to do. But the reality is, even if you figure out ways, what we have seen through this nation's history is they're not going to just simply let you take this thing over. They have a history of undoing up to and including suiciding and unaliving people if that power is threatened. And so that's just the reality of it. You know, when you were talking about you know, the Julian Assange thing. And as I was listening to the broadcast and I was thinking about the situation in Gaza, the situation in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the situation in Haiti, the situation in Ukraine, it just occurred to me that all of the major unrest and upheaval going on in the world, this is worldwide, the United States is somehow involved in it. Either they precipitated, either they set it up, either it's a proxy war. And that is that capitalist, imperialist beast forging the planet for the next thing to exploit. And so given that posture, which is why, you know, be it a Democrat or Republican in the office or what have you, we see no real change. I think what has happened in terms of, you know, we're in this first quarter of the 21st century, the government has just seized up in so many different ways till it is just not meeting the basic fundamental needs of the people. And that's why I think we see this, you know, these contractions or contortions between you know, jumping to the left, jumping to the right, the candidates are becoming more extreme with Trump becoming, you know, leaning really into a fascism that, you know, we haven't seen in this country in a way that we haven't seen it. Biden is hedging against, you know, the Trump fear mongering thing and is unwilling to hear. He hears the people saying, 
we're not pleased with United States support of Israel in this Palestinian situation, but he will hedge, he and the Democrats will put you the genocide on one side and Trump on the other, and they just will not yield. And so, you know, when we are faced with that type of rigidity in the system, it's not going to change. And if you figure a way, I mean, the organization that it would take in the local levels to really re-steer this ship from where it is headed, I think not only will I be dead and gone, but so many more of us will be, our ashes will be reading the dust because it's just that far gone when you really contemplate it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was going to say, you know, because Be Easy was saying, and and Roger talks about this, you know, just doing for ourselves. And I, you know, I definitely have come to believe that there's definitely nobody coming to save us, you know, for the last two, three years, for sure. I think the, 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 the challenge with the majority of the folks in America is behaviorally, even us who know that, our behaviors are not meeting what needs to happen, which is all of us uniting or a good percentage of us to do the work on the ground level. And that's really where things could begin to change. And yes, you know, Noel's correct that the system is designed by design the way it is to keep those that are in power, uh, to continue that power and, and keep us at, you know, divided and at demise, the majority of us with no say in really what goes on in the country. Uh, and the only way that it could change is if it, it did come truly from the ground up and if it was in the millions of us, you know, a good percentage of the population where they couldn't get to all of us, if we were all really walking together or a good percentage of us again, uh, they couldn't get to us because it'd be too many of us. So, you know, it would not be like one person that they would get, but it would really truly be a movement with tangible uh, actions and policies behind us. It would be hard for them to come after us. But yeah, I don't see the picture changing definitely in my lifetime either because it's just proven that the system is designed to be the way it is. And if anything, that, that what's going to happen is, you know, other countries are going to get together, which they already are, and they're going to become uh, the superpowers or, you know, multi-powers, whatever they're called, that are going to come around and they are going to, you know, maybe an event's going to happen, something else is going to happen and the, and, and the world's no longer going to look, and they're already not looking towards us for anything, but someone else is going to immerse us. Okay, these guys are the ones, these are the ones with the light. You know, this is where things should be going. Uh, we are, you know, done for all intended purposes because the way the system is, is not going to allow any one small group of people who, to get ahead and they will assassinate, you know, just like Noel was saying, they will literally assassinate people if they know that they're threatening the system. They already do this, you know, on a regular basis. People are getting done away. Uh, we may just not hear about it. Uh, we, you know, the powers that be allow shows like RBN and many other shows because th their voices are not loud enough yet. But if, if something gets loud enough, they'll come after, a, you know, whoever they need to come after to make sure that they suppress them. Uh, and that's unfortunately the way it is. And in that sense, you know, we need a big paradigm, like a cultural change to, to truly get beyond this, if we can get beyond it, because that's the only way that it would change. It would be cultural, like the, the population would just start to shift in another way of looking at things. 
you know, here in America, like any time that they like even raising the minimum, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the the age of, of retirement, nobody, nobody's coming out to fight for that. You know, in, in Europe, you know, the Europeans like in France, albeit they do what they do, they're not, you know, the best. But if, if you do anything to their their uh, their benefits, they come out and fight like right away. You know, they're out in the streets in the mass and they're throwing shit at the at the government offices and what whatever. And that's part of their culture that they're going to fight and push back if they don't get what they are asking for. We are completely the, the opposite. Not only do we not fight back, we don't say shit about it and we turn a blind eye and, and the majority of the country does. And they're watching the football. They're watching the Super Bowl and they'll they'll fight over over somebody kneeling on, on, on the on the ground over, you know, something that they fully don't even understand why somebody was kneeling. People literally go nuts over that, but don't think about the fact that, you know, why it was being done. And, and that's, the, you know, that's the uh, how idiotic our, our, our U.S. culture is, you know, where they, they don't see what really matters and they fight over the petty shit, you know. And then the media pushes that and perpetuates it in a way that people feed into it. And so we, we continue to stay dumb, you know, and in fact, we become even dumber in some ways. And we don't fight for what really we need to fight, fight for. Um, there's always going to be a fight, Noel. There's always going to be a fight. We just have to ask ourselves the question, are we ready? Each person has to ask themselves before they get in a fight, are they ready for that fight? I expect if I go into a boxing match that, yeah, that person, I'm going to come out swinging, but so is the other person. So I'm going to expect, yeah, they're going to fight us, you know, and they'll take some of us. They won't take all of us, you know? So I never, I never expected that they was just going to let us take power. And um, people say go down swinging, right? So they're going to fight us regardless. Whether you don't take a punch, they're still going to keep punching you, right? So it's like, you might as well punch. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, each person has to ask themselves that, or the, you know, and and I mean, the, the the potential measures that I see, you know, a lot of people get these things kind of like, oh, that's a red state, and they assume that these these uh, politicians represent the people, and when you take a look at Missouri and Florida, which are you know like red states. And they all oh, this Republican. Well, first of all, Missouri is really um, people don't register like Ohio and South Carolina. They don't register under a party, but even regardless of that. But if you take a look at the measures that the actual citizens are running, you'd be like, are you sure this is a red state? You know, that finally we got a state that is pushing single payer health care as an initiative. You know, they're also pushing some other stuff, you know, but that one stood out the most. They got like 37 potential initiatives that's just, boom, like a tax on capital gains for some environmental stuff. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, Cynthia is going to be on Thursday to talk about an initiative in Ohio. I want to um, pivot back to Eric and then bring on some other people. Um, go ahead, Eric. No, I mean... Uh... 
you know, sometimes listening to, to the show and, and, and uh, Noel, because she's so somber with her, uh, you know, her perspective on, on the time that she's been around. And so she looks at it from that long perspective. Uh, it becomes kind of sad, saddening or, you know, kind of hopeless. And, and that in some ways makes me sad because, uh, you know, that, that lack of hope, it, it really uh, it deflates everything to some degree. Uh, it's kind of sad that, you know, you almost have to look to, the, to, to, to people that are coming behind us to, to, because they don't know any better that they'll fight for, for what needs to be fought for. Uh, and maybe that's the way it has to be because, yeah, when, when I hear that reality that, it's like it becomes so hopeless, you know, and I look around, you know, like here in the Bay Area, man, it's bad with the, in certain areas, it's like, shit, man, how did we get so bad? You know, how did, how did it become so to the point that it is today? Uh, and it's sad, man. It's just, you know, so, uh, but many other times I get on this show with, with the, with the rest of the folks here from, from on, on your uh, calling savvy and it, it becomes very hopeful because I do see hope for the future. Uh, and that's definitely what I want to, you know, have, you know, I don't want to, I want to have some hope, you know, Roger definitely is very sombering too. He, uh, he talks about what we can do. So I'm, I'm going to let somebody else speak though, Savvy. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. Let's bring in uh, Travers. Travers, you are on the mic. What's up? Oh, and I thought I got in early so I'd still be awake, but uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, I was actually just going to throw back to the um, interview between Ash Sarkar and Bernie Sanders. The best clip, which I'm amazed you guys didn't clip, was the end of that interview when Ash asked Bernie she said okay and would you uh would you consider uh boycotting goods services etc to is you know to israel and bernie said oh well now um you know i'm, I'm against boycotting any country at all and ash said and this is where i had huge respect for the young woman okay and it came to south africa and Bernie just went, oh, mm, yeah, mm, okay, yeah, we'll we'll end it there. So, you know, you got to see who Bernie really is, which was uh, the first time I've seen an interviewer actually flush that out of him. Um, so, yeah. Well, Bernie actually just got called out, too, in Ireland. Um, just FYI, guys. Apparently, he got called out in Ireland um, as well from protesters because he wouldn't call for a ceasefire. Yep. yep. A, sorry, 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 I'll let you. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, people are starting to see through Bernie, too. Um, I wish people would have seen through Bernie a couple years ago, but uh, people are starting to see through it because it's like, you're just, you're full of shit, too. But again, at the end of the day, Bernie is also playing his part, you know? And, and what did I say before? His part is to make you think that he's going to try to do some type of progressive action that he knows is not going to pass 
And then he can just say, well, the Republicans didn't pass it. And he'll leave out the fact that some Democrats also didn't pass it. And he'll never go far enough as he should as for someone who considers themselves to be a democratic socialist. He'll never go far enough. So we see everybody's role now. And that's why Roger has continued to tell us, like, we can't rely on the politicians. That's the thing. See, that's one thing I will say that the Black Panthers knew. They were very smart about that. They knew they couldn't rely on electoral politics or the politicians to really do what they were supposed to do. So they built their own organizations in their communities. They did things on their own and they said, forget this, we're going to feed our own people. So the breakfast program, like the breakfast, uh, free breakfast, that came from the Black Panthers. So for all the many ways that people have tried to demonize the Black Panthers, the reason why you have free breakfast in schools, in public schools, is because of the and the free breakfast was actually just the tip of the iceberg. Sometimes people uh, don't do it as much justice. They literally had um, like health, uh, you know, like health stations. Um, they were helping people with trades, um, you know, like for plumbing, other uh, trades, a lot of other stuff that they were doing, you know, outside of the free breakfast. And this was with limited resources. Now people have more resources, you know, more access. They didn't even have an iPhone, right? They couldn't mass, e there was no email. They couldn't mass email 50 people in their contact list and they were still able to figure it out. Now we got all these gadget gizmos. Everyone is supposed to be so smart, went to schools, got these degrees, but no one could figure out what the Black Panthers and other liberation groups figured out decades ago. That's a really good, uh, really good point there. Be easy. Um, anything else, Travers? No, I'm a bit too tired, really. So, uh, no, that's it. That's my main. Oh, oh, just the other point. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Ash Sarkar is Palestinian. You said you said she was Palestinian. She's a uh, Beng or her parents were Bengali. She's English, true and true. But uh, um, from Bengali, Ooh. Ash Sarkar is the woman who uh, interviewed Bernie Sanders. Um, you said, you I, said I didn't say she was Palestinian. I didn't say she was Palestinian. Mm, okay, I might have got that wrong. But uh, yeah, yeah, and um, just to say she's British. Oh well, she's um, British Indian or Bengali. Uh, her dad might be Palestinian, I don't know. But uh, she's, if if you have time, find a clip of her and Piers Morgan. It's what kind of made her famous way back in the day. She was on Piers Morgan's show back when Obama was president. And uh, Piers Morgan, she was the chum, basically, for Piers to, you know, um, to beat up on the young progressive woman, you know. So he kept saying, um, not like your your hero Obama, not like your hero Obama and all this. And uh, at the end, she lost it. And she goes, I'm a bloody communist. Obama's not my hero. It's Yeah, it's really funny. It went viral. She got a lot of free drinks bought for her around London after that. Um, but yeah, you'll find that clip on online if you look for it. Um, anyway, that's Alrighty. me. 
Okay. Okay. Thank you. Good night. All right. Uh, we'll bring in Lucy. You are here as a speaker. You just have to unmute, and then I'll go to Frank. Well, hi everybody. How are you? Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. What oh, hey. Um, thanks for um, uh, thanks for covering the stuff. Yeah, I agree with. I mean, I basically agree with what everyone's saying about doing it yourself. And, um, but I think it really takes a lot of people to do it yourself. <laughs> like you can't just do it yourself either, right? Um, and I think, I don't know, like I'm seeing this new crop of new candidates coming up, like, you know, like Dennis Kucinich. And like, I like Dennis Kucinich, you know, but, um, and, uh, Jose Vega, and I, I like Jose Vega. Um, I, I definitely think they're an improvement over, like, you know, what was there before, if they get elected. But I just feel like, I mean, it's the same thing kind of where whenever new candidates come in, people forget that, like, um, it, first of all, I, I don't know if they'll get elected, right? Because, like, our elections are rigged, you know? So, like, people think that like donating to the campaign is going to unrig the election like you i mean at this point like i really feel like first of all um people would have to show up and demand a fair election first of all like locally <laughs> and demand that the votes be counted in front of them and you know if, if you even want any of these people to be elected um and not on those machines and then second like, even if you do the, all of that, you'd have to make sure that the representatives don't get corrupted, right? So you'd need to have the policy items on the ballot, like with the ballot initiatives, like which is what Roger says, and not even wait to have ballot initiatives be legal because in, like in New York State, they're not legal. So what are you going to do? Wait to elect a representative that might maybe be able to make it legal. So like, I feel like people might just have to go to their polls, demand an election, demand a fair election and put the policy items themselves on a piece of paper because I like, I'm not seeing otherwise how people are expecting to, to change their governance. And even that might not work. So um, to, like, to me, it just seems kind of crazy to even um, be uh, investing themselves in any campaigns, you know, without thinking about, you know, like, uh, I mean, how are these people going to get in in the first place? I, I don't understand. So, are, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying, but weren't you one of the people that was advocating for people to run as independent? I think people should run as an independent, but I also think like that there should be a plan for um like how are you how are you going to get people in? And I I feel like people think that like, you know, now that we have these independents, they're just going to win. And they're not. They're not going to win. So like I feel like if people want them in, they should you know, um, you're going to have to fight for it. Like, I don't think any, these people are going to win. <laughs> so, you know, like, I don't even remember the last time an independent won in my area. Like, it's never happened, literally. 
so um I think it's I think people would have to show up like really show up like I don't think donating to a campaign is going to do anything at this point um you know I, I don't know like I'm not saying that um like in Bolivia they did something um where they demanded an election like I think that's the piece that's missing here like people think oh like you know maybe an electoral part politics is just part of it and you you'll just you know spend some time on it but not a lot but I think I I, I think the electoral politics could be a part of it but you'd have to really like demand an election you know and demand a fair one like because the the ballot elections that they have the elections they have in some of these other even like third world countries they're not like the ones here here you really like are sending your vote into one of these machines and expecting them to count it correctly and they do whatever they want with that like so if you you know the the ones that the elections they had in Nicaragua for example you show up like um Fiorella talked about it a lot on her show um and you you know there's like a cardboard box and you fold your um you fold you 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 write your vote like who you're voting for on a piece of paper and you fold it and you put it in the cardboard box and then there's like a representative from each party or like one person from each party at each table and they hand count and then they sing the results out loud and it's at the it's at the place like at the location itself you don't like send in the results somewhere else so it's like you know it's just it's just like a very different electoral process you know when there's no like voting by mail or any of this stuff that's not fraud proof so like um uh, i think i i don't know i think people really have to like re maybe even there's like lots of embassies um all over new york where they have like in nicaragua i'm sure they vote um uh from the u.s i i think they might vote from the u.s i'm not sure but if there's like uh, i think there's a, the mexican elections are coming up soon so they probably have those elections at the mexican embassy and people could go watch it if they want to see how these elections work because they're nothing like our elections they're really not you know <laughs> so <laughs> Um, I, I think people just like they don't realize how deep in it we are with the elections and, and how little it works like and, and I think the purpose of the independent candidates should talk about how the election should work because like if 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 you know Dennis Kucinich runs and he doesn't talk about how the elections work then it just makes me think like you know Dennis Kucinich should, knows that the elections don't work so why isn't he talking about um you know, explaining to people how elections should work so that he even he gets elected. You know what I mean? Like, so, so that's like what I'm not seeing this. Um, and it's like, maybe, maybe it's just because they just started talking, you know, the, their campaign, maybe they'll like expand on the issues they'll talk about. I don't know. But well, Dennis Kucinich has won, though. That's the thing. Oh, he, he already he knows, won? He's been a congressman before. Right. So, so you just, but like how, if, if he gets into Congress, so like you think he'll just get into Congress and it, it you know, it'll work? I, I don't 
know, Lucy. Um, you were the one that I don't know, said like, that I people need like to run like as independents. So this is kind of <laughs> this this is kind of you because you were the one that was saying that people should be running as independents. Hello. Hello. Yeah. I, I do think people should run as independent, but I also think independents won't win if people don't demand an election. Like, I, I think, like, after um, uh, the, uh, I, I don't know if you guys remember, and I know that, we like, Bernie Sanders sold out, whatever. Um, but after Bernie, you know, there was those people that were, like, protesting. They were, they had planned to protest in Wisconsin at the DNC. Um I don't know if you guys remember that, but then like COVID happened and they canceled the protests. Um, so like for those kinds of like, you know, quote unquote anti-establishment candidates, you still have to protest in order to ensure they get in. Like they're not just, they're, you know, they're not just going to get in because like the establishment is totally geared against it. So you would literally need a crowd of people outside counting the votes and being like, we want whoever it is in or we want whatever policy is in. Like, you need, like, pressure, like, public pressure. <laughs> but um, to be clear, are you so advocating... Bernie ran, uh, Bernie ran through the Democratic Party. I'm confused. Yeah. No, there was, that, there was those protests. Run through the Democrats? He did run, what are you, yeah, he did run through the Democrats, but they had planned. People had planned protests in Wisconsin, um uh during like right when the vote started in covid yeah i don't remember exactly because it was like the protest that didn't happen (laughs) it just like didn't happen because the covid thing happened and then like they were able to fear monger in order to like get people to not show up and stuff like that but no that was that was i don't know about the fear monger that was all bernie sanders bernie sanders told people to stay home Bernie, Bernie right. literally told people not to risk it and come out to vote. Right. Yeah, he did. <laughs> like Bernie, Bernie cucked his own movement, but people had planned. They had planned to not just vote, but they had planned to like actually go protest in, in Wisconsin during like the convention. There, there were like, they had a plan to like show up and protest at the convention. Um, and he like, they all, you know, he canceled all of that. So it's like, I don't know. Like, I think candidates can be really great, like, if they rally people to protest something, but they would have to rally people to protest to fix the election system, essentially, because, like, uh, other, you know, some of these, I don't, maybe Dennis Kucinich will, because he's already been congressperson, but some of these, like, independent candidates, they're not going to get in unless people actually show up to the local polls and are like, we are going to count this. <laughs> How was Dennis Kucinich um, so, any different than Ralph Nader? I don't know. Dennis Dennis Kucinich ran and has held seat several terms as a Democrat, and Ralph Nader didn't. So Dennis has the bona fides as a known congressional representative, and that's largely what he will be counting on as he as he runs as an independent his reputation for having been there and somewhat stood his ground when he was within the democratic party so now he can bring a certain level of critique 
of the Democratic Party from having been with inside it, but he has the stamina and the um, wherewithal and experience of having been there. So he, you know, that reputation can carry him a long way in this state, you know, depending upon, you know, what happens in this new district he's running in. Cool, great answer. Yeah, I I get what you're saying, Lucy. I mean, the, the system itself is a problem. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like that is something that does need to be need to be fixed. Let's bring in uh Frank. Frank, what's going on? You gotta Hi Sammy. Um I I, I was watching your show and on and the one of the clips you have from uh the MS uh, uh DNC um the the cop the guy with the cop in state uh, uh sweatshirt uh, saying that the voters are 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 uninformed. Yes. Um, whose whose job whose job is it to inform um, uh, those voters that um, vote for his party? Is it um, MSDNC? Thread <laughs> 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 out his own station. <laughs> but, but the thing is, they're they're. But the thing is, they're not uninformed. That's just a phrase that mainstream media is using to make it seem like the voters are dumb. So if the <laughs> voters don't vote for Joe Biden, then it's just because, oh, they weren't smart enough to realize what was actually happening. Yeah, well, they, they, they sort of are uninformed because they watch they watch that station and, and, he's, and he's saying, well, you're uninformed because, well, they're they're watching him. <laughs> And the rest of that station. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. <laughs> but I, yes, it's it's really interesting. Um, oh, I think Frank, I think you're breaking up a little bit. I think you're breaking up a little bit. Oh, sorry. Um, okay, it's better now. Okay, um, I went to a, a, a hearing uh, t- um, on Thursday at the state capitol for a sunset review uh, of the of the architect's license. And what it is is uh, um, the the hearing has two parts. One is to um, either uh, get rid of the license and not continue it, or renew it with a new bill. And they're also supposed to do that by holding them accountable through 22 criteria um, that are set in law, which they don't do that part at all. And um, I've actually talked about this with uh, Emily Sirota once in in one of her town halls and and, uh, asked her, why don't you follow the sunset review law? And she says, oh, we do. We just follow the corporate. We just follow the recommendations, which, of course, are corporate recommendations paid for by corporations. So um, they don't do they don't do their jobs, and it, it says they must consider that in, in uh, the report that they get from the Department of Regulatory Agencies um, says that uh, it shall uh, evaluate and analyze, and you know it's anything from public safety to DEI and a few others, and what what's you know 
what's the public interest in, of uh, having the board the way it's configured and things like that. And um, so I, I brought up some facts uh, on the architect's license that are one, a few of these, they're, they're mostly nationwide because they're, they're published by um, NCARB, um, National Council of Architecture Registration Boards. The probability of obtaining an architect's license after earning the accredited degree is 0.53%. Um, it's about 85% of a first go around of tests for the medical doctors. And then that, then they, they use up to about 95%. So, um, and no Colorado resident licensed architect has had their license suspended or revoked since May of 1995. Um, the combination of those two is racketeering. Um, the Board of Architects uh, admits um, that they're violating the Architects Practice Act, CRS 1220413-1A1, no more than, with a quote from that, no more than three years can be demanded by the board with those accredited, uh, with, with accredited architecture degrees by stating that the average starting from degree uh, starting degree to finish of the license is 12 years, yet it's no more than three years can be demanded. Um, and that's only for the 0.53 that get through. So the 0.53 have to wait uh, an average of 12 years. Um, so, uh, and, I, and I did bring up, the, um, uh, they haven't been audited since the inception and in, uh, night. 1909, uh, nine black architects out of, in the entire state out of 7,900 licenses and only one is a woman. Um, and uh, I, I do state a few other things, but despite all those crimes, and, and I stated this, and I cited the law in, in each of those two, um, uh, what, what they're violating, they went ahead and passed it anyways <laughs> because they're bribed to do that. So it, it really doesn't matter. Um, they don't listen to even their their own laws uh, of what they're. Um, so it's not even uh, of them just not listening to us. They don't even care about their own laws. It, it's just that they're going to recycle the whole. You know, they want to keep the system going, no matter how criminal it is. And um, so. And I did get one feedback from one of the legislatures, Nikita Ricks. Uh, she is a black woman that did, did inquire about, uh, she said, what, what should we do about um, you know, the low numbers of black people in the, with architect's license? I said, stop cheating on the exams and let black people be free to do that as, as they please. But they continued it anyways. <laughs> So um, the level of crime in these licenses is pretty unbelievable. <laughs> Very interesting, um, but also not surprising. Um, yeah. Just to let people know if they didn't get a chance to see it, um, my stream was blocked because uh, apparently the clip I used from the native podcast or whatever, um, they don't allow people to use it. So I had to go in and snip that part out and then it'll be back up probably in the morning uh, later on. But uh -huh. yeah, just letting you guys know for all of you that are content creators, like 
don't use anything from native podcasts because they don't they basically block it in all territories so you can't like sometimes like people will just be like okay you can't you can keep it monetized but the monetization will go to that creator but for them for whatever reason they won't let people use it at all so it's just they just block it so i have to i have to snip that part out so you guys unfortunately won't have a clip for that yeah it sucks okay i think all of that should fall under fair use to be honest but yep it is what it is and twitter has sent me three emails saying they they're not making uh they, they're now not made, well, four now. Just I just got one this, this evening um, that every, whenever I use the term Zionazi on Twitter, they, they've, well, when they've caught me, they, they send it, send, um, that I'm, I'm uh, demanding violence, inciting violence. So they, they, they take, they, um, they don't do anything on Twitter itself, but they do send me the, well, they do, other than they stop the visibility of my tweet. Uh, and then, but they only send me an email. They don't send me any message or anything through Twitter um, and don't tell me on the app itself. And that right oh, there could show the you that it's not about um, free speech. If they can, if they can limit the reach of your post, that means that they can boost the reach of uh, their post upon their discretion. So when they boost all these po- posts, Matt Walsh and Tucker Carlson, you think, oh, my, even Jackson Hinkle. These are just the greatest people. And Jackson Hinkle, all he does is just download other people's stuff, repost it and gets millions of views. And it's seeming like he did something great when it's all just a matter of conditioning and uh, manipulating the algorithm to whatever corporate interests, you know, whatever their favorite pet is they want to see. Yeah, I was was just going to say, me and Matt Taibbi actually just recently had that conversation and he was saying that like, um, you know, Elon is basically like boosting who he wants to boost. It's no different than how Twitter was before. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but a lot of the right-wing content is heavily promoted. Meanwhile, once again, uh, lefties are heavily suppressed on Twitter. That really has not changed. And so again, like when I say the U.S. is a conservative country, it's a conservative country, right? So like Elon is boosting up like the right-wing accounts or the right-wing adjacent accounts, and he's heavily suppressing the left-wing accounts because honestly, there's no reason why you know, some like how does Jackson Hinkle have over a million subscribers and he literally came out of nowhere, but Brianna Joy Gray doesn't even have like 800,000. Think about it, folks. Like, so you can see the narrative and be easy is right. Some people do that. Some people will actually just recopy other tweets that other people have posted and reposted um, or just takes content from other people. Like it's... Some Ian, Ian Mayo Chong, I don't even know who he is, but he's always posting racist stuff. And all he does is take, he'll take anyone's thing, TikTok, anyone. And some people are in the comments calling calling him out about it. But since he has a bigger platform, he's getting more views and engagement and monetization off of a TikTok that he stole for someone else that he didn't even. Yep. Remember what I said before, a lot of the people who make a lot of money don't actually work hard. They get other people to work hard for them. 
So they, a lot of times they just copy stuff from other people. That's what it is. Anything else, Frank? Um, yeah, I, did, I, I went to the um, Free Assange event uh, at the Colorado State Capitol today. It was, a, it was a small turnout, only about somewhere between 50 and 100 people um, came in and out. But um, that, you know, it was in, um, but it was small, but very energetic. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I wasn't able to go to the one in Boston, but um, I know they also had one as well. But that's that's awesome. We'll have to stay tuned and see what happens. Tomorrow is day two. So, yep. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Frank. I'm going to bring in Tina. Thank you. What's going on, Tina? You just have to unmute. What's up? Oh, okay. Hi. Um, I think I wanted to dial it back and go back to some of the talking points. Some of the the talking points that have come up tonight have really struck a chord within me that uh, that that's such a, a big deal. And even what set everything off with Cornell West um, all started out because he was kind of ingratiating this Nazi. And, um, and it comes down to even when you look at what was the point of him doing that, it was still a talking point that ultimately is in support of the Ukraine war and going back to the same agenda that we're trying to be against, I guess. And it seems like all of these little talking points or brainwashing points are just trying to um, um, put these things into people's head to keep us off of base. And we might get caught up on the hurt feelings, which are valid. Um, because, you know, we were hoping, you know, that somebody could come along and, you know, be more of a voice for things that we want. But in, in the end, I think these talking points still are capturing them. Um, thinking of like, I can't remember, is it Alexi something, whatever his name is. Um, yeah, he, he, I was watching, um, I was also watched the second week of Jon Stewart. And, you know, he got all that heat last week because, you know, he dare called Biden old or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, and, and now he's also like right on the heels of all of this. He also was doing some poor, you know, Alexi guy that died in prison, you know, like he was some great guy and not a Nazi. Again, John Stewart's pulling out, you know, handing out applause to Nazis. I don't. I think that that's his penance or something. Every time he says something they don't like, it's like, sorry, dude, you're going to have to you're going to have to congratulate another Nazi. I, I don't know, but it's 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 frustrating because even in going back and, and all of this is to promote the war um, earlier tonight when we we're watching those clips of um, Shmuley and uh, we we're talking about the point how um, you can do two things at the same time. I've had friends tell me that nonsense, like when I'll say like, you know, why are we spending money on these wars? Why are we sending money to to Ukraine when our people are dying here? Well, we can do both at the same time. Well, we're not. We're, yeah. we're not doing both at the same time. This is a point to get you into buying into the war, convincing you that Putin's Hitler and 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 we're still not doing anything for our people. And so many of these little things, they're just, uh, we can do both at the same time or um, against free speech. And you say, well, why are we shutting down speech? And they'll say something, well, you can't yell fire in a crowded building. And I go, yeah, if it's on fire, you can. It's just these little brainwashing points that it, it comes down to as long as we keep repeating these things, 
it's like they're they're still we're, it feels like we're not really getting anything done well you know what that was the same talking point i heard from um i think it was crystal ball who said that one time when it was the Marianne was hosting that panel and she was trying to basically promote all of the candidates that were running as progressives to the Democratic Party. And I don't think any of those people won, but I remember Crystal saying something like, well, we can do both at the same time in reference to direct action and organizing and um, electoral politics. And I remember I responded to that video and I said, but we're not. And the people who have the largest platforms are not doing the other option. They're not doing the direct action. They're not doing the organizing. They're not even really trying to rally their million of subscribers to get people around to do those things either. That's the problem. The people who have the largest platforms are not doing both. So it bothers me when people say we can do both at the same time, but they already know that we're not. Right. Right. And, and it just feels like when you say something like that, we'll, we'll do both the same time and you'll ask for some program to actually help people out. And um, they'll tell you that they're going to do it. And instead of doing that, they'll do it. Well, Juneteenth's a holiday now. Aren't you, aren't you happy with that? You know, and it's just like, no, that's not what was asked for. That's not helping people out. It's like, sure, but, you know, that's not really helping people. It's they maybe will give you some kind of a token, but it's like they're not. It's it's all something to, more or less to assuage someone's guilt or to make someone say, like, how many times have you heard that all the good stuff that Biden's really done and nobody's talking about every single thing, even Biden was standing on. That was a half measure, even that half measure stuff. None none of that even passed. No, you're right about that. You're right. You know, this is, you know, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but this is a settler colonialist project that began in slavery and moved into sharecropping and moved into a fight over the minimum wage. And, you know, it's just been a constant thing, you know, and when you really look at the American project, it grew out of feudalism and, you know, monarchy. So they brought those ideals with us. They cleansed the indigenous, they enslaved the Africans. And so when you look really back, you get a really good view of why we're at where we're at today. They're they're not, and they use race, and like we say, race and all the other demographics that act as a caste within class to keep us to a certain degree polarized. And the indoctrination and brainwashing starts so early. Mm -hmm. And you know, like I say, I'm 60 years old and I sit up and say, wow, It has taken me this much time to really grasp what's going on. And, you know, and even and I don't consider myself as, you know, this extra bright person. But I'm saying, look at all the deprogramming I had to just kind of do on my own just to understand what is really going on. And like you say, 
They've spent billions and billions of dollars. We could not come out of Afghanistan before we end up in a proxy war with Ukraine. And then there's this situation in Israel, Palestine. And it's like, God, we never stop. And then we the, the military budget is the biggest discretionary portion of the budget. They It sails through every time. There's no big debate. And then you come up with all this other money. But the minute you say something about programming that would benefit the people, it's like, oh, where are you going to pay for it? How are you going to get it? Where are you going to get the money? And it's just like now, is such a mockery is right in your face. These people come together to, and they really are animated to try and get this spending money to Ukraine and Israel. And it's like, wait a minute, what is really going on here? But they control the media, they control the narrative. You know, they have people bought in into thinking that they're really getting the news and it's just like, this is just, we are nuts. We really are nuts. I'm wondering now, I mean, I'm seeing more and more how much this is about labor and cheap labor. I mean, whether they could get it from slavery or how much do they want to kill every country that mentions communists, that talks about um, making sure that any the workers see um, the wealth of the country as opposed to it all going to the top. Um, and they want to destroy anybody that brings it. I'm not saying communism is the answer, but just the very whisper of that. And we want to take down anybody that tries to implement it or, you know, and, and all of the immigrant thing, this like, why do they want the immigrants here? They want the immigrants here basically for, so that they are cheap labor, cheap soldiers. And then our people who, as we're more desperate, who are citizens, we also have to be cheap labor and cheap soldiers. And we've got no options because we're just dying without health care. And here's the thing, when you consider the potential impact of AI on the labor force, at which point for certain things, we, there will be no need for labor. It becomes all about population control. So, you know, you whip up a good old pandemic and create one old faulty vaccine. And, you know, there's this this um, um, motion to consolidate all of the response to pandemics under the um, World Health Organization. And then you have these mm -hmm. super conglomerate, international conglomerates like BlackRock and Vanguard owning everything everywhere. It's like, um, where's this going? <laughs> you know, it's, it's really scary to think about it when you really think about what we have seen in our own lifetimes you know, all the lies Dr. Fauci told, and even though these things would come out, there was real, really no energy to do anything about it. And, you know, the participation of the Gates Foundation and all of this vaccine mm -hmm. stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? Well, Bill Gates, you mentioned him, too. And I know years and years ago, long before COVID happened, somebody pointed out where he did this um, talk or I don't know if it was a TED talk or what, but he was talking about how um, he was going to take vaccines of 
to Africa as a means of population control, because that was a kinder way of like um, helping bring down the carbon footprint. And somebody showed that to me years ago. And I go, that's weird. And I wasn't thinking about it then, but now he's buying up all the farmland. And even as you're thinking about the whole thing in Israel and Palestine, if somebody just wanted to do a population control and say, look, um, here's a few million people less in the world buy it better you than me. I mean, that might, I mean, I hate to say that, but that might be a motive for those people up there like Klaus Schwab sitting there going, what are we going to do about all these people? And, and we want to just ride our wealth into eternity. That's right. That's right. And we all know like Bill Gates, you know, he's made a lot of money off of like vaccines and things like that. Like all these people are just suspect. And by the way, all these people, a lot, well, a lot of them that are heavily pushing this type of uh, these types of like medical treatments and things like that. The billionaires, these people have bunkers, you guys. They have underground bunkers that cost like millions of dollars. I showed this one time, I think it was last year I showed this on the show, how uh, Mark Zuckerberg has a bunker, how all these like elite people, they have bunkers they will be prepared if something happens and they'll just be like, fuck you to the rest of us, you know? Go ahead, be easy. I was going to say Mark Zuckerberg bunker is reported to have cost uh, $200 million. So, like, he's preparing for just, I mean, that's like nuclear fallout type stuff that if you're investing that type of stuff, does anyone have even $2 million to even try to attempt to, to do a bunker, you know, so regardless of whatever they happen, uh, um, you know, them shipping jobs overseas, illegal immigration, AI, autonomy, they don't care because they'll still be good uh, either way. And especially with BlackRock, like Noel was saying, they're already uh, maneuvering to rebuild Ukraine uh -oh. and they're going to do the same thing in uh, Israel, uh, Gaza, you know, um, which is why they're... Mm -hmm. um, trying to expel them and bomb them away because they don't care if it's blown to bits because they're just going to have people come in that are going to do the, uh, you know, do the job for them. They're not even going to have, give those jobs to Israelis. They're going to give them to refugees that are poor and desperate and have them build it up. So all it is is just slavery never ending, just evolving and becoming more covert. People need to stop acting like chattel slavery is the only form of slavery. You're well, right. We need to pretend, stop pretending like that's what's happening too. I mean, I think that we, it's such a dirty word that, you know, that again, the, the way they've turned communism around our mind, not realizing that this is an attack against labor. I, I think, you know, but you know what though? I think they do realize that. I think they want us all to be worker bees. Um, and then eventually when it gets to the point where they don't really need us anymore, because this is something I, I do agree with Andrew Yang on, uh, the threat of AI. I have agreed with him about this for a long time. And he talked about how like friends of his that work in Silicon Valley, they've already been putting together, you know, different types of AI to replace workers. In fact, you see it when you go to the grocery store, depending on where you live, there's a little machine that just kind of, you know, rolls down the aisles of the grocery store where I live. And that machine does inventory. That was someone's job. 
Yeah, even the ATMs, if you go to the bank, uh, the bank used to be filled with tellers. But now when you go to an ATM, you can deposit up to 10,000. Yeah, you can deposit up to 10,000 bills. You can print out your statement. You can deposit a check. Now you can take a picture of the check with your phone and deposit it. All of these things are cool and convenient, but all that means is that they don't need a worker. They don't have to pay someone uh, benefits, you know, which is going to affect society in a negative way, but it's convenient for us. So many of us just kind of disregard that. But all of those checkouts too, when you go to the grocery store, it's convenient to go to self-checkout. Self-checkout is autonomous. AI, that's what it is. It's not a human being. It's not going to ask for a raise. It's not going to ask for health coverage. So they can work it 24 hours or however long the store is open, you know. So convenient, but at what cost? Well, and that's what Richard Wolf saying. He was saying that when all of these machinery came along, you know, they could have made it so instead of needing the same work week to um, promote this type of thing, you could have, could have got the same amount of pay and just only had to work three days. But instead of doing that, the master class went and pocketed the rest of the money. All the ownership goes to them. And we're, again, back to what you were saying before, this feudalist serfdom. Well said. And I was going to say, that's why, you know, I think we have to be on the edge of some type of new, you know, international way of being, way of thinking. You know, we have to be at the dawning of a new age where we realize that, you know, go back to basics and, you know, I mean, when we think about the concepts of ownership in terms of ownership of the land, ownership of air rights, ownership of this, it's just a way to funnel the resources and everything to a smaller and smaller group of people. And I think, you know, humanity has to have a reset. And and unfortunately, I think it's going to have to be something fairly cataclysmic where we just have to reset and say, look, we all need to survive. You don't need to own it all and have it all. And I don't need to just necessarily work for you. And if we do, we need to have, a, you know, just like we have a minimum wage, we need to have a maximum wage. And people just need to care about each other enough to be willing to sacrifice or do whatever it takes so that everybody can survive. I think you know, one of the ugly parts of the feudalist serfdom capitalist modality is that it assigns a value to certain people and the people at the top get everything and the people at the bottom are just valued for what they can produce. And if they can't produce anything like the homeless population in this country and elsewhere, they're just seen as, you know, waste. And I think we really have to have a reset in our whole humanity as a species. And I don't know how that comes about outside of something cataclysmic that just forces us into a new type of interdependency. You know, it's so alarming what we see going on in Africa under the radar, but it's that same type of we're going to siphon off all the resources and you know, even though that continent is resource rich, it is economically 
made poor because of all of the efforts by the West to extract everything. And it's just like, there has got to be a better way for everybody. And at some point, I'm thinking even the elites are going to have to wake up and be like, oh, this is not a good life. I don't want to be in a bunker just by myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wish I had answers, but you know, I at least can see what's happening. I don't know. Anyway, you guys, have a good night. All righty. I'll be wrapping up here shortly. Let me go ahead and um, bring in Brady, make you the next caller. What's going on, Brady? Oh, I'm just living life like a little privileged princess over here. But I've managed to think up two solutions um, that I think might actually save the whole world. And I can sum them up in like less than 10 minutes. That would be cool, too. And so the first one. I think you cut out, Brady. Yep, I think you cut out. I'm going to um, invite you to speak. Um, while we're waiting on Brady, any of the speakers have anything to add? Did I, or, did I, I disappeared for a second, didn't I? Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't. I, I, I didn't heard the, the first one, and that's it. One, and that's it. Uh, okay, so uh, again, it was uh, just a scientific protocol to prioritize goals. And uh, still, still coming in clear? Sorry about the technical difficulties there. But yeah, uh, mitigate psychopathy with accountability and allocate resources effectively and efficiently using logic, math, and language. You know, that's why we kind of invented math, language, and logic was so that we could stop hitting each other with stones and kind of just sit down and kind of like figure things out instead of having to just bash into each other. And I think if we just kind of take it to its logical conclusion, it's going to solve a lot of problems for us. And that's basically the mission statement of the proxy party, which is like not even a political party, but just like a, a meeting place. Hopefully where some all, you know, we can just get together and do things outside of the electoral process and just have like a network where people can get together and if you're an independent trying to work on stuff like me, myself, personally, I've been involved in the Unicorn Party. I attended a Dr. West volunteer meeting this week, and I'm going to be voting for Jill Stein, I think, myself, Medicine Woman. I like to call her Jill Stein Medicine Woman 2024. Um, but <laughs> I th That's funny. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I think if we were to just really kind of just like hunker down and say, okay, how are we going to make decisions? How are we going to decide what our goals are? Like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> like in the first place all on earth as like great apes together, you know, like what are we as humans on earth? And I like to identify as earthlings and as humans, if anything, I think that just really helps to just kind of keep things on track. And, um, but like, what are we as humans doing on earth? Like, what is our goal here? Like, what are we what, what are we doing here? You know, let's, let's figure that out. And once we figure that out, you know, let's, uh, use science instead of, you know, this whole false dichotomy thing we have going on with left, right. It's essentially a schizophrenic public in the American populace. You know, they've, 
divided our psyche into two sides and there's a giant gun at our head saying, pick one, you know? And, um, I think it's, it's crazy. Um, and luckily there's a growing number of quickly growing number of us that are just shaking that off completely. But, um, we need a scientific process for how to hold our leadership accountable and, uh, mitigate social psychopathy, not just in our leadership, but in our, you know, our families, our friends, our bosses, ourselves, you know, um, that, you know, just doesn't necessarily have anything to do with like, uh, psychotropic medications or anything like that. But there are methods that we could, very healthy, non-toxic methods we could use to mitigate, um, these problems that humans face. And, that's basically the mission statement of the proxy party, you know, is we need to just kind of sit down with people we agree with and people we disagree with. And we need to have open debates about what are our goals and what are the best ways to achieve those goals. And I think that open debate is a far superior way to solve those problems than war. And that's the reason we invented language. So I, I just uh, promote, you know, debate as an alternative to war. And what you see in a lot of these war situations is that there is no open debate. We just go straight to war. So I offer that, you know, um, before any bomb is sent or any military action is taken, there should be a protocol for open debate. Um, maybe even under the circumstances of lie detectors or something like that. But uh, one last point, just to let you get out of here and go home is that we can save the entire world and we can solve global warming, the hunger crisis and economic instability with like a few million dollars, like a hundred, a few hundred million dollars investment of rust dumped into the ocean every year. This is like half a ship of rust, which would be like a hundred thousand tons of iron oxide. And if we just lightly sprinkled it in all over the oceans in plankton pastures, what it would do is it would cause plankton blooms that could potentially sequester millions of tons of carbon while simultaneously feeding fish populations in the ocean that would lead to a boom in the fishing industry, which would lower food costs for everyone on earth right away and also provide economic incentive to kind of balance out the economy for lower income people. And this experiment has already been carried out and run in a rural town in Alaska with some native, like a little native town. I don't know if it was Canada or Alaska. It was one of those northern areas. But it was some uh, a native community invested $2 million to run this experiment. And they sprinkled some iron, some rust out in the plankton field in the ocean. And uh, the Bill Gates network, all, all of these investors who are heavily invested in this carbon credit scheme came after this guy and said, oh, he's a fraud. This guy's ripping off the natives. They're just dumb. They don't know what they're doing. It, you know, this guy's a snake oil salesman. Well, the year went by and they had the most successful salmon harvest they'd ever had in world history. And they anticipated to catch about 50 million pounds of salmon. They ended up catching 225 million pounds of salmon, which led to a return on investment to that village of $600 million. So the initial 200, I'm sorry, the initial $2 million they spent on this dumping rust in the ocean experiment 
returned the investment with $600 million to the community and lots of salmon. Not to mention a lot of carbon sequestered at the exact same time, which really throws a middle finger in the face of Bill Gates' plan to, you know, build synthetic trees with trillions of dollars um, over the course of, you know, centuries and whatnot. It's just ridiculous. But um, really cool idea that's being attacked by the uh, pseudoscientific kind of quasi-academic community. And I think it's an idea at least worth looking at and at least worth running the experiments maybe again somewhere else, you know? And so that's just one interesting uh, report I came across this week I thought you might find interesting. (laughs) And the guy that's running that whole project, his name is Russ George, I believe. But he's not a scientist, but he's basing that work off the work of scientists back in the 70s and 80s and whatnot. His name is Russ, and he pours Russ into the ocean. Exactly. Easy way to remember the. All righty. Okay. Thank you so much for that, Brady. Um, for any of the speakers, anything else you wanted to add before I head out? Yeah, I, th- I think what Lucy was trying to explain before is <clears throat> she has this. Um, she has an idea of uh, we make our own um, ballots and we show up to the polls and force them to take the ballots that we printed out to, to so that the so to to you know to show um I think I'm I think I'm explaining it right to you know to to show them what uh we want I, I believe um that's what you was talking Lucy Yeah I I was like I was trying to explain that because um uh like in a lot of states uh, like, uh, you know, Roger was talking about Missouri. You guys talk about Missouri all the time because they have the right for ballot initiatives, but a lot of states, we don't have any right to that. So the only way to circumvent that would be to show up with our own ballots and say, these are the initiatives we want. Like, kind of think of the election more like a church election. Like, if you were to run your own election at your church, what would you do? You would go to the printer, print out your own items, the ones that you want, like your 10 demands from RBN, whatever. You put them on there, and then you vote for what you want. (laughs) But you have to put it on the items you want, because the government isn't going to put the items that you want on the agenda. So you have to do it. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like a little crazy, but... Also, I just wanted to say before when Tina was talking, um, yes, so as American workers, we're competing against four or five different um, labors, Uh, migrant, outsource in other countries, prison labor, and (coughs) and AI. And I think the only way to be that we would be able to combat that, because all of these things are a product of uh, the, the big businessman. Okay, the only way to combat that is if we, the workers, own the economy, own the companies, own the supply chains. You know, when we own it, we're not going to. Uh, 
replace ourselves with <coughs> with robots and AI and all that different type of stuff. Uh, at least, maybe not in <coughs> maybe not entirely, but we can slow that down. Um, we wouldn't have to worry about competing against prison. We could probably even advocate that prisoners be paid minimum wage. Oh, and the other thing that they were, were competing against is they took that some of these states like Florida and another state is trying to repeal child labor laws. So they want us to compete against our own children, you know, for these, for, for like, you know, like these dangerous jobs. You know what I mean? Um, I know JB did a, a Yeah, that that's getting scary. Like, I don't think that kids should be forced to work. Mm-hmm. And not only work, uh, but work dangerous jobs where um, they may not be physically strong enough or, you know, just have the mental acuity to do it. And also uh, they're pushing to uh, for them to, to be able to work to midnight or 1 a.m. Yeah, on school nights. On school, exactly. I mean, it's... I, don't know, I guess the, the parents are going to be the only ones that are standing in the way to say, like, no, you're not going to be having my child work on a school night or whatever the case is. I mean, are they going to take that? Well, then again, maybe they would take. But imagine, imagine this society, right, where you need two incomes to sustain any type of, uh, you know, lifestyle just to survive. Right. Mm-hmm. Many people don't. Uh, many people are working multiple jobs. Now your kid is going to be working multiple job or long hours, and 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 where and where is the conservatives on this? I'm being very facetious and rhetorical with this. They're the ones pushing it. <laughs> there you go, and they always talk about family values, and they're pushing this corporate then, agenda that's going to break up the family. And then they conflate that with, they, they, okay, let me tell you the argument. Oh, well, you know, I had a job when I was in high school. I worked at the local Wendy's or local McDonald's. You know, you know like they, they conflate it with that type of uh, uh, teenagers working. And it's like, no, you know full well that we're talking about construction jobs for kids and working in meat processing plants where they can lose fingers and toes and all different type of stuff. But that's what they do. They conflate it. You know, it's, it's kind of like how they conflate uh, wokeism or or um, I, they used to call it identity politics like three or four years ago. They conflate that with any talk of race. Like you talk about race, oh, you're being woke. So it's, it's like they do these little tricks. And you know what I mean? You're going to keep like, on doing oh. it until we do something about it, though. But luckily, there's a scientific process for holding people accountable. And it's pretty interesting. It's actually kind of like the eye for an eye strategy of Hammurabi, but Mm -hmm. it's a little bit modified so that you let 10% of the lowest infractions slide so that you leave room for peace to happen. And by subscribing to this method, it actually allows for the good people to eventually find each other, make peace with each other, and unite against the assholes, for lack of Well, like I said, I mean, we have to take control not only of the government, but also of our economy. And you know, control. on another note, 
Have you all been following this story about the fires in Chile that are similar to the one in Lahaina? I I sense the antennas of conspiracy. I haven't I haven't <laughs> heard about that yet. Uh, no, I have no, do been tell. following. Someone's antennas are up. Oh, what's come on? You can't. You well, can't, you know I'm all be, about a good conspiracy. But right. they, I saw the some of the footage, and they were showing how the cars were burned out alongside this stretch of road, and you know the the glass in the windows was actually melted but there were trees right around the cars and the leaves on the trees were just fine and the the thought is if there was a fire that was so intense that it could cause glass to melt and burn up the cars then certainly just the fumes in the heat generated would have burned up the leaves on the trees but they're saying this is eerily similar to the Lahaina fires and that, you know, nobody is really getting an understanding of how it happened. And so there's this speculation about these laser or heat driven um, instrumentations. But, you know, like I say, I'm a sucker for a good conspiracy because I think more is happening you know, with with the governments in terms of them experimenting and doing things than they're going to ever tell us. And like Savvy says, that's why they're building bunkers and this, that, and a third. They know something more than they're letting us know because you wouldn't spend that type of money on a bunker or, you know, you're trying to build this spaceship to get you to Mars and this and that. It's like, okay, what do you all know that you all are keeping from us until it happens? I can tell it's, you. It's going to be too I can tell you exactly what they know. That technology is known as directed energy weapons, and it's been around since the 70s and 60s. And so anyone who tries to tell you that that technology does not exist is simply not aware of it. Um, it is well-established physics at this point. It's scientific fact. And I heard that Donald Trump tried to kill Julian Assange. Are you serious, Brady? I hadn't heard that. Um, it was oh, a Kim Iverson report that I haven't watched yet, but that that's the word okay, in the okay. street right now. I need to catch up with my Kim because um, I haven't been. I told you guys, like, when you do this, you don't get to watch a lot of independent media. Um, but I need to catch up, like, on uh, Kim stuff because someone else told me... Um, Kim had another guy on recently. I think I'm supposed to contact this guy. I got to go through my emails. Another guy on who was charged because he had like a handgun or something and he's allowed to have one. I have to look that up. But someone told me about, um, told me I needed to watch that interview. I think that's the guy that Larry Sharp asked me if I could interview. I have to go back through my emails. But just FYI, guys, my live stream is back up now. So... Yeah, so just whatever you do, anything from native podcasts, don't show their stuff um, because apparently they're not allowing people to share. You know what? This is the thing that pisses me off. Like, I don't care if people share my content. Now, I have the option, all of us do have the option if we want to, to say, nope, copyright claim or whatever. But I never do that. 
because I consider it to be fair use. If my content is on YouTube, then it's it's fair use. That's just how I look at it. And I, I think it's unfair. Like I said the same thing about the music, like music videos and stuff that's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. We should be able to share it. Cause like honestly, if we could share like music videos on YouTube, oh, I'd end every show, every live stream with a bang. We would have like a 90s week, we'd have an 80s week, we'd do all that stuff. But like the whole like fair use thing to me is just it's ridiculous because like now anybody can just be like copyright claim copyright claim that's what happened to to hardland's media you know it was really fucked up i'm like why would you do that like i don't care if you share my stuff yeah and that and that one is um you know you it's 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 something about the person that does that right because you're opening yourself up to uh, it's actually what you do is fair use. You're using their content. And if you look at what the parameters of fair use, you know, you can use it for educational thing, right? You are educating, educating and enlightening people. Look, this is the BS. That's why I'm calling it out. So you're using it in a fair use, not like some of the people that I was saying on Twitter, where they just take the whole video and just share it and present it as theirs. No commentary, just racking up the views. You are actually stopping it. Okay, look, this is why this BS here. Let me run it back. It's no reason why that shouldn't be fair use. And that also lets you know that they're clearly not for the people, right? They're not going to have anyone like RBN on. So the least you can do is just, and it's not just them, but I'm speaking about the native uh, lame podcast anyways, but the least that they can do is have someone be able to critique it. You guys are not above reproach. You have, you know, not really done anything of note to me to where you people are just supposed to give you a pass and not critique what you're doing, especially when you're lying and misleading people. And this is not a black thing. Anyone is above reproach. Someone can take Sabby's video and say, look, this is why I disagree with Sabby or agree with her on this point. Once you put it out there into the universe or the, you know, the, the, the public um, atmosphere, like, People could do things what they want. It starts getting very petty and, sh you know, shows you to be like a little bit sensitive if you just want a copyright strike. Someone that's legitimately, you know, giving commentary. If you are just taking someone's video and uh, uploading it, that I don't agree with. So I, I wouldn't be mad at someone for copywriting. But when you're giving commentary, yeah, I, I think it's disrespectful. Um and it kind of defeats the purpose of fair use if I'm doing what the doctrine says, but I'm still getting dinged for it. Yeah, they don't want the, they don't want the criticism. You know what I mean? They like you're coming into our space, okay? Ain't nobody invite you into this space. You were doing your your corporate news, and now that you see that it is dying, and they got okay, and they got kicked out, right? Um, uh, Gillum got caught uh, uh, in a hotel room with like yeah. a male stripper dude. Angela yep. Rye got cooked, uh, kicked out. Uh, um, mm -hmm. Tiffany Cross got kicked out. Kicked so out. this is their hopes to say uh, the uh, what is that? Um, iHeart Radio. This is their last hurrah. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see if you can still whip folks. They are supposed to be the more hip version of Roland. Yeah. Well, then you, you think it's just because they don't want to get called out or you do you guys think it's part of because 
they just they want the money because like some people will have it where um they'll do you can still use the content but the monetization will go to them what, what do you think it's really about because it, it's just stupid to me it's so dumb i think they don't want i think what i i, I think they don't want the uh the smoke because the thing is is that i think you i mean you weren't the only one to criticize i'm not i'm not even talking about everyone i'm just just black people um who uh tone talks uh antonio moore was mm-hmm. criticizing because he was talking about they bit this this cover from the destiny child's uh album cover when they had all their faces together yep um i forgot which destiny it was the last album that they did no you write about that you write you know what i mean and everyone started coming at them with the criticism then all of a sudden all of a sudden oh copyright strike or you know whatever the you know whatever appropriate term because you know you're using or whatever and you know like uh, <laughs> i mean like you suck you, they're <laughs> terrible i told you guys i was like you guys noticed this trend of the at least is still up um at least that whole segment is still up on rumble and rockfin mm-hmm. but it's just they suck like i we know what you guys are doing you guys were all a part of mainstream media you got kicked out and then now you're like we're independent but you're still using <laughs> but you on iHeartRadio. you're still using dnc talking points and like a lot of us are on i'm on iHeartRadio. i'm on spotify you know, I have audio versions of interviews that I do. I'm not, I don't have a contract with these people though. I don't make any money on Spotify. I don't make any money on iHeartRadio or any of that stuff. So the thing is, it's just like, like you guys, like you're posers. And see, that's the difference, right? They really, uh, they are really not grassroots. They are not really of the people and for the people, you know? So when you look at it, them being not only backed, they're endorsed by iHeartRadio. It's one thing to say that you're on iHeart and Spotify, but to have executives and big wigs at the company actually backing you up, that's totally different. And your uh, chat is like, from what I'm seeing now, you're averaging anywhere from 800 to the highest I've seen I've was seen like 2.3. 2. That's with no corporate backing. They should be blowing you out the water in engagement and your numbers are better than them. So it shows you that this can be done if we pay more attention to the people that are giving the right message and, you know, shifting through the BS versus them that's trying to sell you the the, the BS and, and, you know, make it seem like it's something other than because that their numbers are, are abysmal for if you look at their resume on paper, like, you know, in a, in a corporate world, it should be impressive. None of that stuff matters when you enter into, you know, kind of the Thunderdome, when you got to deal with the grassroots and people, you know, commenting and, and wanting to email you and DM you. This is not what they're prepared for. They're um, 
kind of like Dr. West in a sense, like they're used to all of the, uh, you know, the yes people around them or being in a tokenized position where no one wants to offend you because you're the token and we kind of need you around to make everything go. Now they're really on their own and looking for support from the grassroots, but that you can tell that they're, they're just not from here, you know? Yeah. And also too, um, you know, I think that I really think media space is really changing you guys. Like I really do. I, I see the numbers for, I look these up like once a month. I, so I see the numbers for like CNN, MSNBC and Fox news and the numbers just continue to plummet. Like it's, they, the last time they had good ratings was when Donald Trump was president and the numbers since then, since Joe Biden has won, have continued to plummet and plummet. And especially so after the Russia Ukraine war, even more so with Israel and Gaza. And so it's like, you know, that's why, why do you guys think all these people move into independent? Like Tucker Carlson's like, I started my own network. And he's like, I'm independent now. Yeah, you ain't really, you know, (laughs) you got some money from somewhere, okay? You just don't pull up all that shit and you taking trips to Russia Russia. and you ain't got no no money that's like backing you or whatever, right? And then you got uh, Don Lemon who said, I'm going to start making videos on X and da, da, da. And I've been listening to people like Ben Shapiro. All these, I told you guys, these people are actors. They're actors, I majored in broadcast journalism. When you show up to the studio, all you do is read the teleprompter. You have a script. So it's not like you, that's why we heard Joy Reid on the hot mic. Another fucking war. That's what she really thinks. But she's not allowed to say that, obviously, on mainstream media. But you, you know the... Good news is, is the perfect way to hold these synthetic independents accountable is by forcing them to debate. So like, like be easy said, we need like a centralized Thunderdome, like a, like a a debate table where all the best minds get together and hash these ideas out in a public space. And I think that's the perfect solution. And I think eventually what people will come to realize is that run from the uh oh. We lost you, Brady. The, the, the people who are in. Mike we check. lost you. We lost you. Oh, man. Uh, but I was just saying he was right when he said that we need like a, a centralized Thunderdome debate table. And I think that forcing the debate to happen is the perfect way to mitigate these, ind- these uh, how do you say, synthetic independents. Um, and eventually people will start to realize that reality doesn't run from debate. And eventually the only voices that will matter are the ones that openly participate. No, I agree. You guys want to hear something wild though? Um, until I saw that video tonight, because like, I just queue up clips and I keep it moving and Eric, like. I put the links on the pad on the, the ether pad and Eric just kind of takes them from there until I actually saw that video tonight. When I interviewed Julian Assange, brother and father, I really didn't realize this. I looked at that video on screen. And I was like, damn, you know, the weightlifting been working out because <laughs> I wasn't toned. I wasn't toned. Like I looked at that video and I was like, I was a little thick, you know, I, I look like a little pork chop. 
like was fat, but like I was a little thick. I was a little bit more, you know, me. But like now, I was like, holy shit, I look totally different now. And so like it's funny because like my husband was like, you've always looked great, and I'm like, nice thing to say, right? Good answer. Smooth, good answer. Smooth operator. No, but that <laughs> it, isn't that the beauty though when you can see like, ooh, I was a little bit, you know. But even still, I, I um, what I thought of when I seen it is that you actually have uh you know, some political chops, right? You can say, you can run down an impressive resume. So this is why it's infuriating to me. And it shouldn't just be only black people and commentators calling this out. This is why it's extremely disrespectful, extremely anti-black for them to keep going to Charlemagne. We know, you know why they're going to him savvy, but all the other people need to know that, look, hey, you say you're an ally to the black community like you should see that they're being disrespectful keep going out to Charlemagne when when Savvy has political chops Brianna Joy Gray you can hit up Teslin Figaro you know you don't gotta like these people or agree with them but they are more politically astute than Charlemagne everyone he gets on whether it's Pierce Morgan uh Bill Maher he'll I'm not a politician well I don't really know um uh, you know uh, um, I, I don't have all the facts well, why are you, why don't you answer someone that has all the facts? They have all of the resources to do that. And that's what people should be asking. Why do they keep having Charlemagne and Angela and the same and Al Sharpton and Jamie Harris? Like you guys can't figure anyone out. And then and they're put up as the face of this is uh, what black people think. And no, I, I mean, I think you have an, uh, a lot of political esteem, but you should be on peers and, and not yeah well well, here's the thing it's like they don't even have to come to me right but i would expect them at least to come to someone like brie who actually was a press secretary for a presidential campaign and brie had mentioned this one time before she said that like she said some of us that were part of the bernie movement have been blackballed in certain spaces so i'm pretty sure there's Plenty of, you know, opportunities, job opportunities that Brie could have had. Oh, yeah, she would have played ball, right? Because I even seen Crystal Ball on uh, uh, Bill Maher and Brie's resume is, you know, surpasses her. But, you know, so we know why they're not on there. But we do need to, uh, you know, I will agree that we do need to make light of this more because this is the blatant anti-blackness where it's like, look, we know Charlemagne and, um, Andrew Gillum does not know what the heck they talk about. They don't represent what the grassroots said. Bree is in a unique position to be able to represent what the grassroots say and of, you know, the class uh, that, that she's at least associated with, right? You know, um, the wine cave people, not to say that's her, but, you know, she, she's on Rising, a, a corporate network. There's no excuse to not have her on there. Piers Morgan to have Rabbi Shmuley. He'll have a rapper from Palestine on there. And and, and, and it's just a disrespect. It's, it, it's quite frustrating, for real. No, it's true. It's like, that's what I was saying, you know, um, how is it that Crystal Ball got to go on Bill Maher, but not Brianna Joy Gray? How is it that Crystal and, and Sager and also Kyle Kalinske's separate appearances, how is it that they got to go on Joe Rogan, 
but Brianna Joy Gray hasn't been invited on Joe Rogan. And I know she hasn't been invited because someone asked this before. And Joe Rogan How said he that? was a Bernie bro. Joe Rogan said, right? I, I never voted right wing in my life. He said he was a Bernie bro, but you don't have Bernie's press secretary on there. I told you guys how they treat no, black people I, in this space. I, like I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm telling you, this is how they treat. You mean I, to tell me you would bring on people who were not a part of the campaign, but you wouldn't bring on people who were a part of the campaign. Even Teslin was a part of Bernie 2016. They won't bring her on. The only people mainstream media that will bring her on is Fox News, and that's when they want her to criticize Joe Biden. So what the hell is up with that? So I can tell you, um, you might have forgotten. Right, I would probably say, was she his press secretary in 2016? She she was, right? Who? Brianna Joy Gray. Was she Bernie's press 2020. secretary? 2020. Okay, so not 2016. Okay. No, that was Simone Sanders. Oh, okay. So... I remember her saying, I don't know whether she said it on the Hill or on some interview saying, look, look, they, they come to me and they tell me, oh, if you don't vote Joe Biden, you'll never work in this town again. And she was just like, well, I, I don't want to work in your town. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, like, so I remember. You know, I, I usually have a good memory about these things, but I remember her so saying. So, who, who did you say that. said this? So, someone, Brianna Joy was telling a story right at the end of Bernie's campaign because she's like Green Party or something like that. She, she, I guess she was saying she's not voting for Joe Biden or something like that. And she was telling a story. She was on an interview. I forgot with who. I don't know whether it was, it was on the hit on Rising before she became a host on Rising, but she was saying like, she was saying that, yeah, they're telling me that, you know, they're telling me you'll never work in this town again. And she was just like, okay, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You'll, you'll never have, cause they were treating it like you'll never be part of our club. And she was just like, mm -hmm. yeah, I think you think I want to be part of your club. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be part of your club. I did my thing. I was Bernie's campaign secretary or whatever. Um, I'm moving on. <laughs> well, see, this is why this is why I can't live in D.C. Because like my family from Bmore, and some of them actually two of them moved to D.C. The problem with D.C. is that everybody you meet work for the fucking government because that's pretty much all the jobs there. Like everybody, they work for the VA or they work for the CIA, the NSA. Oh, everybody work for the government in some way, shape, or form. So it's like. If you don't play their game, you're done in that town. You're done. Like, seriously. So it's like, you know, Rising, one thing I will say about Rising, even though they, they did Kim and Katie wrong, because they did, and I think they could have had different producers at that point in time, because they did Kim and Katie wrong. But I will say, they give Bree the, the free, the, you know, the freedom to say the same things that she says on bad faith on rising they give her the freedom to say those kind of things and i think maybe they may have found newer people i i don't know um but i do know that it wasn't necessarily that way for kim 
Remember, they removed Kim from the Dr. Fauci interview. They would not let her be a part of that, which did not make any sense because Kim, out of everyone on the show, did the most research in reference to COVID. Then we know what happened with Katie Halper, right? Like, they're like, you got to go because of her criticism of Israel. Of course, that was before October 7th. But you see what how it is now. Like, now they talk about, like, Israel, Palestine, like, all the time. So it's like... I think it could have been because maybe they have different producers, that kind of thing. It really seems like different say, producers too, because I just want to ask you I this. Think, Do you so. think you would have been invited on? Because uh, you've been invited on. I, I, I'm I'm surprised. I've been seeing you more frequently uh, on there too. So I think it's a, it's a new uh, management that seems to be more fluid with it. Yeah, so the invite, uh, when I'm invited, the invite comes from the producers, right? So at the end of the day, even if Bree or Robbie recommends you, the producers are the ones that have the final say. So, so let's that, just... that's where the invite comes from. And so that's why when some people say, well, why isn't Bree or Robbie inviting on this person? They can recommend a person but at the end of the day the producers are the ones that say yes or no they trying to they they, they scoping you out sabrina yeah i was gonna ask you uh sabrina do, you know that do they take your uh your resume and your past things into account i'm not saying you specifically just i'm asking do you know about the process like let's say you were recommended and then they're saying oh, okay let's go through her uh thing and they kind of look for you know content that fits you know what they want to do or if they find something incendiary that they believe like katie they'll reject you like uh like how does that process go when they reach out to you so i know that one of them had watched my show. I, I do know that because they told me that. So I do know that one of them had watched my show. And it's really interesting because Rising and News Nation are a part of the same company. They're both up under Nexstar. Uh, Roger, can you meet for just a second? Oh, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> they're both they're both up under um, Nexstar. But for whatever reason, I feel like the hosts on Rising have a little bit more leeway than the hosts on News Nation. If you watch News Nation, I played it on my show a couple times. News Nation, for whatever reason, um, they seem to not be as free to really say what they really feel. And it, it feels a little bit more, a little too much mainstream. Yes, they're both corporate media. But News Nation, I, I never like watched it and felt like this is not mainstream or corporate media at all. You know what I mean? It's a little too much that way. Whereas Rising seems a little bit more laid back and a little bit more chill. Maybe that's because of the host. I don't know. Um, but I, I just, it's really interesting because I remember watching Rising like back in the day when it was Crystal and uh, Sauger. And in the beginning, I thought that Rising was independent media, and it wasn't until later on I realized, you know, it was brought to my attention that they were not independent media, they were corporate media. And I was like, oh, so when people say that Crystal left corporate media to come to, to go independent back then, that wasn't true. She left corporate media to, to go to another corporate media. 
right? But it was just on YouTube. And now, you know, then created Breaking Points with Sagar, which is supposed to be independent media, but they say we're the new mainstream. So sometimes they still have mainstream media talking points. And that's some of the things that we've pointed out before, like on RBN, and I pointed out on my channel as well. But yeah, it's just, I, I know like one of them had watched my show because like they told me like they had watched my show. Um, so that was interesting because you guys know like some of the things I say like on my show and sometimes I use profanity. Like you guys know. <laughs> you know, I know that that's yeah. kind of what, uh, what, what my follow-up was going to be because the way you do it, I, I like you on call in, you know, cause it's, you know, more loose, a more comfortable environment. But when you're doing your savvy sab show and probably obviously your guest appearances, and this is not just to you, I'm just speaking from my observation and, uh, you know, my opinion on the matter. I think it would behoove all of us to like put out a proper representation of ourselves if we have, um, further aspirations, you know what I mean? To potentially, um, you know, not to go mainstream, but like to have those opportunities when you go on rising, like, uh, that your, your perspective and your voice is needed because otherwise it's just going to be some other like corporate shield on there. So you do need people from the, the soil and the grassroots to be able to infiltrate that, right? If they can infiltrate a grassroots thing and try to have some agitators cause a riot, we can infiltrate the corporate thing and, and, and drop a truth bomb that they're like, oh, damn, we shouldn't have let them on. Well, you did. Now you kind of got have to let me on because this is what your audience wants. But this is why sometimes it, a lot of these frivolous and petty little beefs, it's not really worth it. If you do want to get the clicks and, and that's what you're doing it for, I understand. But in terms of like progression, um, like yelling in the mic and then especially it's not right, you know, but like I see Annika Sperian yelling all the time, almost foaming at the mouth. She's not going to ever get that stereotype of an angry white woman. But if savvy is to get out of character, and I'm not saying this is right, right? But we're dealing with reality. She's just going to seem as just another angry black woman with an attitude like that can't control herself. Why is she so sensitive? So some of the same arguments will never be made towards other people. But, you know, unfortunately, like when we're dealing with, uh, you know, putting out content and public speaking, you know, we do have to be extra sharp, not just for the masses, but just for ourselves as well. Like, do we really want to let strangers or some random person in the chat get us so triggered that, you know, that we're yelling and stuff? And then you never know who, who might watch it. Just like how Savvy looked at the playback and was like, oh, yeah, I had a few pounds on me. We may watch the playback and be like, damn, I was overly emotional on that. I'll start with the ad hominem attached, yelling, cussing and all this stuff. So, you know, I, I think um, many of us sh should be mindful, you know, whenever we're public speaking and just communicating in general, try to do the, the most effective way, which is usually not, um, you know, yelling. You know, we got too much other stuff to stress about than to, you know, let Twitter trolls and other stuff stress us out. Savvy, Mommy Meadows likes you. Every time I have you on and I'm over her house, she she gets hypnotized and like, oh, who's this? 
was like, oh, this is Sally. Oh, thank you. I mean, one of the things I'm still trying to get better about, like my mom had this this, uh, conversation (laughs) with me. We had a talk. My mom said, no, you don't have to use profanities, you know? And I was like, oh, man. (laughs) And um, my mom was just like, you don't have to. I told you before, you don't have to use profanity to get your point across, you know? Sometimes people that may watch you may have kids. And I was like, oh dear, I would I would sincerely hope uh they would not have their, their little kids watching watching me when I'm watching. But you know, like my, my mom, she said that to me like I think like two months ago, and she was like, You don't have to cuss as much, you know, to get your point across. I know you're passionate about the issues, but you can get your point across without using profanity. Remember, your mama's watching you. <laughs> I don't think you curse that much. It's my mom. So my, my mom is is very religious. So to her, you know, it's like also I, I've never cursed in front of my parents either. Cause like my mom would knock me out. Like my, my parents don't play that shit. I was not never one of those kids. You know what was funny? I remember like when I was growing up, like I grew up like pretty like diverse community right because my parents were military so like i had friends of like different races and stuff like my, black, the, friends, my black friends like all me. the white kids who curse in front of their parents i know what you yes what was up with that so that shit used to happen i used to be like seriously like you could just curse in front of your mom eddie murphy did a skit on that back in his heyday <laughs> Mm-mm-mm. You got to check it out. I think it was delirious. Well, listen, peoples, is three, so I have to bow out, but it's been real. So good morning. Oh, yeah, it is it's time for me to go. I'm sorry, it's late. Bye, guys. Reef and, Reef and uh, Colin are covering the Julian Assange thing now. That's what probably... Well, they just came back on, because I oh, guess wow. it's... It's isn't it six hours over there? Because he's oh in, shit, that's right. I keep there. forgetting that. Okay. Yeah, just let you know. That's that's those those were those little voices that you heard in the background when you said, "Can can I go on mute?" <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs> Later. Bye. <laughs>